I guys, this is a real thing. I need one of those fancy toilets in my life. I can't not have one. Like I need to wash my butt, my vagina. You need whatever. the to- the toto. I like a warm seat. I like a fucking whatever. And in this rental house, you know, it's just not cutting it for me. I also feel like New York is very muggy. <laughs> You never know what could happen to sound. She could get crazy and we could be out of luck. But if you record the Zoom, we might just get lucky. Or maybe people will still text you and DM you and tell (laughs) you it sounds like shit. (laughs) Is that a good song? It was good. It this that's very Andy Cohen when you do that. That's like um, Is it? Uh-huh. Yeah, he loves to write a spontaneous song as well. I always thought, you know, I never did the improv, you know, like so many people did. The improv. Yeah, the improv. I never, I, I never did improv. It's funny to me because you are really good at improv, I feel like. I mean, hypothetically speaking, yeah. Interesting. <laughs> no, but I never did it because um Basically, I started working, you know, my sophomore year in college. I got freaks and geeks. And so most of my friends who went into like Second City or UCB and stuff were like, it was like post-college vibes and they were waiting to sort of get work as actors. And so they like started, they would do the improv stuff. and Right, right. And that's how they, you know. I always regretted it. But yeah, I never, I never got involved either because I was like working, you know, I was just like a working girl. I think that that's like, there are, that is definitely, there are several different trajectories that everybody can take, especially in the entertainment industry. But I do think that that, those schools, although are they all defunct now? See, we're a Shantira. I know. We need to to explain us. Explain us. To explain us. Ugh. To learn us, to to, to I give really us would. I would like some. I would like some learning on the improv history. Hi guys, it's me, Busy Phillips. This is Busy Phillips is doing her best. I'm joined per usual by Casey St. Ange. Ray might pop in hi. to say hi. We don't is know. He, who knows? He's, he's actually doing a thing for me in this moment. So okay, as my assistant, which is. <laughs> That Gina has her weekly grooming bath at 2 p.m. So somebody has to take her there. But Mark has a call. It's a lot, you know? It's a lot. Arranging schedules, finagling things. Yeah. So he was taking her over. But guess what? What? And I forgot to tell Ray to tell them this. Maybe I should text him. I found We went upstate on Sunday. Mm-hmm. You don't know what I'm about to tell you? I don't know. I found a tick on Gina this morning. Oh, I could have guessed that. I, I well, yeah, guessed. that's I mean, yeah. I was wait, yeah. But anyway, it was super disgusting, and I don't know from ticks. And I was a baby about it and freaked out. And then I was like, "Aren't you supposed to like light a match and blow it out and burn it so that it comes out of the?" It didn't work. I and mean, Gina was yeah, like that's out. I. That's like what I feel like my family would have done in the 1970s to a tick. Cool, cool. 
but well, I that's don't where know. my tick knowledge begins and ends. <laughs> <laughs> we did, we did Google it, and I got out. You know, I've got so many different types of tweezers. Anyway, I ended up just like essentially pulling the tick apart, like okay. <laughs> yeah, on on Gina's head. And then there's no way to know if it's like disease carrying because I destroyed it. And we called the vet and he's like, we don't, we don't normally see dogs that just have ticks. And I was like, okay, well, I don't know because I'm from LA. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Right. There aren't really, there aren't really ticks in LA, I guess. That's, that's a good thing. Aren't really? There are no ticks. Okay. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Ticks no, are ma'am. like, ticks mm-hmm. are a, definitely an East Coast thing. Well, I almost decided to to sell it all, burn it down to the ground and <laughs> move back to LA. When we first um, moved into, it, our apartment in Brooklyn was in an old clock factory. So it was like a, a loft and it had like 25 foot ceilings in Brooklyn. Um, and so our first Christmas there, we were like, we can get the most giant Christmas tree. We had gone from living in a really small New York City apartment to like 25 foot ceilings. And we were like, we could get the most giant Christmas tree. And so Matthew was like, I'm going to go to a Christmas tree farm and I'm going to chop down the tallest Christmas tree I can find. And it was like an unseasonably warm winter. And I was at work and he drove out to New Jersey and like really very manly, ruggedly chopped down the biggest Christmas tree he could find and uh, tied it to the top of our SUV, whatever, dragged it back to Brooklyn, put it up. And he was like, yeah, babe, it looks great. It's like, you know, here's where it is. And like sent me a picture, whatever. And then um, like a half hour later, he called me back and he was like, I have like 10 ticks on me. And he was like, there are like ticks all in the Christmas tree. That, that is my nightmare. That is a Christmas nightmare. Oh, it's a nightmare before Christmas. (laughs) So we like, I don't think we threw the tree out. I think we just took it outside and like banged it on the ground to like get the ticks out. But he was fine. Let me tell you about the game I've been playing all, all morning since. Is it a mole? (laughs) <laughs> or is it a tick? <laughs> oh my gosh. And like I'm you- like convinced that I am covered in ticks. I'm really freaked out. I'm really freaked out. I'm not even kidding you. This may have turned me off from the East Coast forever. I'm not kidding. Ugh, I'm sorry to hear that. That's a bummer. Like, I was really also it's like the most beautiful day in New York. I guess, you know what? I guess the saying is true. You take the good, you take the bad. <laughs> You take them both, and then you have the facts of life. Thank you, Alan Thick. The facts of life. <laughs> Where's the time you got to grow and show you're learning how you know about the facts of life? Anyway. Wait, was it an engorged tick, or was it just like, uh, like had it just like latched on? No, I mean, it was there since Sunday. Let's be real. But what like, was it, was it? Wait, it's Tuesday. Like a pee? It was, he was pretty fat. He squirted blood when I destroyed him. Oh, man. All right. Well, anyway, poor Jeans. Gina was just like, also, by the way, was enjoying enjoying her morning cuddle time when I like freaked the fuck out. And I, she was looking at me like, what did I do? What did I do to you? She didn't feel it. She doesn't know. No, she was fine. And then all of a sudden there's like a flashlight. I'm like screaming for Mark to come in the room. I'm like, Trying to like 
find all of my picking tools that I've hidden from myself. Yeah. Like, no joke. Like, I, you know, have made it a point to hide my picking tools. Hey, pickers. Wait, I do want to say this out there. I'm not a doctor. You should always seek your own medical advice. But I am someone who has suffered from the picking thing for a long, long, long time. And my dermatologist and then an herbalist suggested I take this supplement called NAC. Do you know what NAC is? Mm -mm. I guess it's like supposed to support healthy lung function. It's like a vitamin supplement. Okay. Anyway, research it yourself. But I've been taking NAC and my desire to pick has gone away. I guess they found the side effect of this supplement was that people stopped wanting to pick. Huh. It's like a very specific <laughs> side effect from a supplement. That's interesting. Well, you know that I I do believe, and like, the, again, this is not a medical show. We're not handing out medical advice. But I really sincerely do believe that a lot of like compulsive behavior is connected to like biological things. Gut health. Yeah, and gut health. And so I, because I always feel so bad because I feel like people really beat themselves up for not being able to stop these things. Well, you know, you've seen me spiral about picking. Yes. Yeah. You've seen the like, it can get dark for me. Yeah. And, and I've talked about it too. I have OCD too. And I've definitely beat myself up for things that like, I'm like, well, duh, if I could stop, I would stop. You know? Obviously. Obviously. Well, all I'm saying is check into it yourself. But two different people recommended it to me to help with the picking. And so I've been really regimented and taking it for a couple months now. But I have noticed that the compulsion to pick is just like basically for the most part gone. Well, that's when great I take news. It. That's great I know. news. I'm glad it's And helping. it's also support, supposed to just, I don't know what it is. It just helps. I don't know. What are supplements? What are we, you know, who knows? Who knows? I don't even, I'm I mean, not a even doctor. when people are know. like, that's a placebo. I'm like, who gives a fuck? Well, a placebo is like best case scenario as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. That means, you know, it was all in your head and you just fucking were able to move forward. Okay. But now really I have an itch and is it a tick? Is it an no. itch or is it a tick? No, because ticks don't even itch. Like oh, ticks. God. It, here's the thing. If it was a tick, you wouldn't know. You wouldn't notice. So any, well, that's deeply it, upsetting. That's I know, deeply upsetting. but this is what I'm telling you. Like, if you how had, do they burrow in without you knowing? I don't know. They're just like smooth like that. I don't know. And we're just like fucking animals, and it just like puts everything in perspective. We're just like human animals. And yeah. other animals feed off of us, and it's disgusting. Maybe no, I'm just kidding. look it's at not it that like, bad. A, it's like a tick is just, like, trying to do its job, you know? It's just trying well, to— Well, me too, tick! Just trying to provide for its family. And it's really hard for me to do my job when I'm concerned about you, tick. Yeah. So get the fuck out of here. Okay, wait. This is so crazy. So a lot happened today. Okay. Hi. What are you doing? Just grabbing this. Oh. Ray is back. So Cricket had a buddy over last Wednesday who was in her pod. Like, everybody wants to be friends with Cricket, and Cricket, like, holds back. Yeah. And then gets to know people. Now, when we first—this is just so—this just, I feel like, is very illuminating of her personality. Um, a couple months ago—who knows? Time. Again, we had gotten some invitations to some kids, like, birthday gatherings in the park in her pod at— 
her her new school here. Yeah. And I was like, so Cricket, what do you think about going to this kid's birthday party or this kid's birthday party? And she got this look on her face and she was like, I don't know, mom. It's just, you know, I just feel like, do I even have a close enough connection with these kids to go to their birthday parties? Uh, And I was like, um, it's kind of not how birthday parties work when you're seven. But uh, I feel you. I feel that you're having like a hard time connecting, whatever. So I was super excited that she asked to have this little girl over and they were so cute together and they were like, going nuts and they created this obstacle course downstairs and cricket is like one of those kids you know those kids who just like flies off of surfaces like has no (laughs) fear that anything will ever happen to her in a negative way so anyway I was kind of watching them and then like wandering upstairs and getting mac and cheese and stuff. And then I heard the thump, right? And then Cricket like came up the stairs and she's like, oh, really hit my jaw. And I was like, oh, geez. Okay. Are you okay? Let's put some ice on it. And, you know, she doesn't complain at all. And in fact, she's one of those kids where like, she could have like blood dripping down her forehead and oh, be like, God, I'm fine. Yeah. I'm fine. Please, no, I'm fine. <laughs> like she really doesn't. And she doesn't love going to the doctor, even though we have lovely doctors, whatever. So then over the weekend on Sunday, she was like, you know, my jaw still really hurts. And I was like, oh, boy. All right. You never complain about stuff. I'm calling the pediatrician tomorrow. Um, And so I did. And they, she's like, I think you need to take her to this or like an ortho." dentist surgeon like an an oral surgeon basically to get x-rays and stuff and I was like awesome because we don't have a dentist here or anything for our children yet um so she hooked us up so Mark took Cricket to the orthodontist and they took the x-rays of her teeth she just has a contusion she's fine there's nothing cracked or fractured or anything in her jaw oh good but Cricket was born without wisdom teeth oh wow no wisdom teeth. She is the evolution of man, person. Oh, interesting. I mean, that's the evolution. Homo that's sapiens. the evolution. That's the evolution of Homo sapiens. Is like they don't. We don't need wisdom teeth anymore. Oh, interesting. Because you know we're not. They're useless, and our mouths have our heads have adjusted, moved in such a way that there's no room in our mouths anymore for wisdom teeth, most people, which is why you have to get them out, right? Oh, interesting. And so the evolution of man is no wisdom teeth, and she doesn't have wisdom teeth. And here's what else she doesn't have. She does not have adult canines. Oh, wow. Isn't that fucking wild? That means she can't be a celebrity because her head is going to be tiny. She does not have a tiny head, Casey. (laughs) No. Absolutely. Wait, I not. Thought it's, no, wait. Also, I thought the thing is that TV people have big heads and film stars have small heads. Well, guys, we know all, where I land. All celebrities, in my experience, have big, big heads. heads. I agree. I agree. One time I was at the Emmy Awards, and I won't say what celebrities were walking by, but I will say that. Give us I was, a hint. Give us a hint. They were all the stars of a very popular show in the 1990s, all ladies. It was the stars. Desperate Housewives. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. But I was sitting next to Ed Asner and he hit me on the arm and he was like, look at them. They look like apples on pencils. Oh, yeah. Or remember they used to say, uh, yeah, like bobbleheads. That was the thing. 
But anyway, I'm happy for cricket. You know what's weird is I, I think went, it's amazing. I think it's amazing too. I went to the dentist when I was uh, you know, like a young adult, and he also told me that I had no wisdom teeth and um x-rayed me two times. And then his whatever hygienist was like, did he tell you you have no wisdom teeth? And I was like, yes. And she was like, I think you do. (laughs) And then she asked me a series of questions like, do you get sore throats a lot? Do you get a lot of headaches? And then she did x-rays, like, I guess a different position or whatever. And she was like, you do have wisdom teeth. They're really, really deep in there. And they're really severely impacted. They need to come out. And then so... Oh, were you like a teenager? I was like 20, probably. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, they were really impacted. They were really impacted. And I did need to get them out. And it was a real mess. But they were like really far in there. Like, I don't... (laughs) That's like my sphenoidal sinus issues in my early 20s. Really? That. Yeah. Did I tell you that my guy that did my sinus surgery apparently left to go do his like research paper and teach? And do you remember when I got my sinus surgery? It was right when we were starting to work on busy tonight and like develop it and figure out what it was. Yes. And he was like, I want to use your sinuses in a research paper about Yes. Like abnormal abnormal sinuses. Yes. Because I had massive um, chronic sinus infections for, you know, like 15 years or something like that. But I was never symptomatic in terms of like stuffy nose or like being able to blow my nose and have stuff come out because it was right. all in my upper back sinuses and it was trapped. Right. And so people would say that I had migraines and stuff. And I'm like, I don't think I have a migraine. And really it was this sphenoidal, sphenoidal? I think I'm saying it right. Anyways, the sinuses behind the sinuses in your forehead. Oh, man. The back sinuses. Anyway, so excited if you're, to be a part of that research. If you're studying sinuses right now and you see some kind of fucked up forehead sinus. That's it's, me. It's busy as sinuses. Your sinuses are famous. That's me. Hey, guys, welcome to the show. Uh, hi, Raymond. Hi. Sorry I'm late, everyone. You know, just schlepping around New York, sweating. Um... Thank God I have a backup closet at this house because I'm going to need to change my entire wardrobe. (laughs) Okay. Well, listen, feel free. Do all the things. Um, Ray's really been taking a beating in New York these last couple weeks, physically and emotionally. Mentally, spiritually, all of the above. But you did see a sunset last night, Ray. Well, yes, I saw the tail end of the sun had gone down, but I saw the like orange and pink skies and it felt right. Ray Ray fell off of his city bike coming over the bridge last week. I think Uh. fell off like makes it sound a lot like nicer than it was. I think just it was it was like an an extended. Think think like Scarlet. Is it Scarlet took a tumble? Remember that like viral YouTube video where the woman fell off the coffee table. No. She was, like, dancing uh, on her coffee table. This yeah. is in the early days of YouTube, guys. Yeah. It, remember when you used to show people, it's just, she really ate it. And I really ate it on the bike. It's like the um, great the grape stomp. Everybody knows the grape stomp lady. I know the grape yes. stomp lady. And also Kelsey Grammer falling off of that yes. stage. Was always, oh, yes. Also, yes. also yes. always made me lol. That would yeah. have been me on the bike. <laughs> yeah. I just flipped over the front, laundry oh everywhere. Oh, my God. Yeah. La- oh, get- was it clean laundry or dirty? 
Dirty, of course. Oh, dirty. thank God. If it was clean laundry, that would have been so yeah. much insult to injury. Yeah. So just, you know, guys, here we are. Are you okay? Do you have, like, road rash? Um, Just on my face, which is, like, the best place to get it. It's not a lot. Did a lot of people see you? Uh, I would say at least five. Did um, anyone stop? One woman stopped, but she didn't ask me if I was okay. She just picked up, like, a cord from the ground and was like, is this your bungee cord? And I was like, no. (laughs) And then she continued on. Oh, she was trying to be helpful. Well. Maybe. Not exactly. One time my friend Sanji and I saw somebody wipe out really hard on a city bike. And um, we were at a distance where we probably could have run up and helped him. But we thought it was one of the property brothers. So we didn't... We didn't know what to do because we oh, were like, my God. If, if it's a property brother, he probably wants us to respect his privacy in this moment. No. But if, if it's not a property brother, he might want help. But we didn't, we just didn't know what to do. And we were like well, frozen in a panic. Good thing we have someone to ask on this podcast. I mean, Elizabeth, you fall quite often yes. as someone of notoriety. Do you want a stranger to run up and help you? Or do you yes, not want a stranger always. to run up and help you? Yes. <laughs> I do. <laughs> you know, I this always is, do. This is your Us Weekly celebs. They're just like us. When I, you fall, do you need the help or do you not need the help? Yes, I do. Always need help. I, sometimes when I'm not falling, <laughs> I would just like some help. You know what I mean? Um, no, I, I I always think it's nice. I think that even in, in those moments, like you want somebody because you want someone to have either you're like hurt and you need help or you need someone to have the shared experience with where you're like, oh, my God, that was so embarrassing. I'm fine. I'm fine. I fall all the time. Oh, my God. I can't <laughs> believe I did that. And then you can like have that moment and like get it out of your system instead of internalizing it. And like spinning it. So I'm always there to give someone that moment of like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I will race across the street and be like, oh my God, are you okay? Do you need help? Can I help you? (laughs) One Um, time, I don't want to put the celebrity on blast, but I think uh, I have like. What is with all these blinds today? I know. This isn't a blind (laughs) show. This is not a blind show. It was so long ago too that nobody will care about who the celebrity was. But this celebrity, I think was like volunteering at the ASPCA in New York City. And for whatever reason, took a, tried to take a cat out for a walk. (laughs) No, on a no, leash no. <laughs> in front of like the ASPCA and the cat <laughs> flipped out and like really climbed up the celebrity like very roughly and um I was right there and I tried to you know I was like oh my gosh let me help and that celebrity was like I can handle it and I was just like okay <laughs> But I was like, should I just stand here and bear witness? Is this cat? But the cat truly had like all four paws dug into this person's face. And I was like, I don't, it doesn't look like you can handle it, but whatever, like live your life. Did like, the person recover or are they forever maimed like Leo DiCaprio? That's my <laughs> biggest concern. I don't know. I don't think Leo were- DiCaprio was maimed by a cat. No, he was maimed by a, a, a girl in a club. That's why he has a scar on his face. Really? Yes. That's I like- don't know this. Oh, that's a moment of pop culture. He was at a club. He was uh, like. I guess I was out of my Leo phase by this point. Yeah, I think you were. Yeah, but he did. But he did look at me once. That's right. You know the story. Never forget. Never forget that for (laughs) one moment. For one moment, Leonardo DiCaprio looked at me and really looked at me. (laughs) Looked and I thought certainly a woman of my age, he would just look past me. 
But then I said some funny shit and Jonah laughed and then Leo <laughs> looked at me. And it was soul searing and validating. And well, that's a good book I was title like, too. Soul searing and validating. Oh. No, no. Leo looked at me. <laughs> Leo looked at once, one time. One time. Leo looked at me. That was a that was a great that was a great moment. That was Golden Globes, post Golden Globes with Michelle. Um well, guys, oh, speaking of the Pop- Property Brothers, I think that Property Brothers still was Zoe Deschanel, right? Yeah. I, had a proper, I have a Property Brother question that I might reach out and ask him via Zoe Deschanel because and I don't ask know. Ask him if he was the brother. man that fell. Casey, what year was it? Oh, gosh. It, I mean, probably <laughs> like, probably like, I want to say like five, six, seven years ago. Yeah, and just be like, and sidebar, did you fall five, six years ago off of the bike? And did you see two women just like about 50 feet away wondering if they should come and help you, but also wondering if they should respect your privacy at that moment? Or maybe it was your twin brother. (laughs) Wait, what do you have to ask the property brother? Oh, Um, have you heard about these shipping container pools? Yeah, mod pools. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Of course you have. You know everything cool. Well, I'm kind of interested in it. And I wanted to know. And they've, the property bros have used them several times. Are they Canadian, the property bros? Yes. The, it's a Canadian company. Yes. So anyway, I just wanted to, I wanted to like get the real because they've used them on several of their things. Like they've been featured. Yes. And it's like a really interesting idea to me that, putting that pool in. I've you spoken know. to I've spoken to the folks at Mod Pools about no, you their have not. pools. Yes, I have. Well, then I don't need the fucking property brother Casey, <laughs> tell me everything. They're very nice. It's a really interesting company and it's a really interesting concept. So guys, basically what it is is, is there's a there's a company in Canada that takes um shipping containers that are that have are long in the tooth. Is that a good experience? Is that a good expression for a shipping container? Well, uh, yeah. Old, old shipping containers that are retired. Retired shipping containers. What becomes of a shipping container once it's done its all the shipping it can do? Well, nowadays, lots of things. Well, nowadays, lots of things. They can be, they can be made into weird, um, houses in that miniseries that starred Elizabeth Moss and, um, what's her name? Holly Hunter. Holly Hunter. That was a weird show. That was upsetting. They can become tiny homes. And then and then apparently now they can be made into pools. And this uh, company is making them into pools. And they uh, run the, like, electricity and heating through the shipping container or something. So that, like, you can actually, if you put an in-ground pool in a cold place, you can it can, like, be warm the whole year. You can yeah. heat it. You can heat yeah, it up they the seem whole year. they seem really cool, but I mean, it's like not as much energy. Like if yeah. you if, like a normal heat system for a pool, like takes the water and heats it, and then shoots out the water, right, to warm up the other water. Yeah, I think so. I think there's like well, that's I think what my pool in LA was. Yeah, I think they're pretty customizable. You can also have them above ground, and they can like put a cool window so you can like watch people swimming well, in them. I'm just inter- is- I'm interested in them. Yeah, yeah. They, it seems like a cool company, but they're really nice. You can just call them up and chat with them. I'm sure they'd love to chat with you. They're Canadian. You know, they'll talk to anyone. Well, the other thing that I tried to do today was, I, guys, this is a real 
thing. <sighs> I need one of those fancy toilets in my life. I can't not have one. Like, I need to wash my butt. Yeah. My vagina. You, you need the, to- the Toto. I do. I really like the it. Toto I like Drake. A, I like a warm seat. I like a fucking whatever. And in this rental house, you know, it's just not, not cutting it for me. I also feel like New York is very muggy, you know? Girl, can I tell you something? <laughs> can I tell you something? We hmm. just installed, I just talked about this on, on Kulop and Suchin's Add to Cart podcast. I oh, talked, wow. You're talking about things on other podcasts now. I see, Casey. <laughs> okay, cool. Cool. Well, then you know what? Don't waste the content here, please. Our friends, Kulop and Suchin. No, I was I was talking about how I've talked about it here too. About our toilet is like a real tryhard, and it's like a fancy toilet like you mm-hmm. used to have. But we are DIYers in my house because we're cheap, and we really splurged <laughs> on purchasing the toilet. Uh-huh. But we installed it ourselves. The dirty Ooh. secret to that fancy toilet is the fancy part is just the seat. It comes separate from the toilet. You don't need the fancy toilet. You just need the fancy seat. You can ins- you can buy the seat and install it on your toilet that you already I know. have. I do know that. I actually do know this. Well, anyway, on my on my walk home today from my appointment, I wanted to stop into Toto and I had some questions for them. Yeah. But they were taking their hour lunch break. And I oh, was Lord. like, well, okay. Good for you, I guess. <laughs> That's a wild call, but sure. That's so small town. Just closed up shop. Well, no, I, I'm all, listen, you know, I'm always trying to squeeze in eating my salad while I'm doing this podcast. I get right. it. It's hard to find time to eat, guys. I guess that's lovely that the company, you know, values their employees and gives them an hour lunch break to just chill. I want it. Maybe that's, yeah, maybe that's a good thing. Well, anyway, I didn't get to go in. Ugh. <sighs> Guys. Maybe, yeah, listen, a company that values butt washing, it's very European. They they also value lunch, apparently. Also very European. That's Which true, goes, actually. They go hand in hand. I have to say, I think we could learn a thing or two from Toto, is all I'm saying. Keep, keep your lunches long, your nether parts clean and dry. That's it, really. You you said a thing or two. That's two. I One, mean, two. You're, that is a thing or two, guys. It's been a fucking week. It's been the hardest week emotionally. I don't know if you're that super heavy. I have not stopped crying. I yeah. feel weirdly okay right now, but I think it's just I'm on that high from finding out that cricket doesn't have wisdom teeth. Yeah, knowing knowing that I birthed an evolutionary child, an evolutionary miracle. I mean, TBH, cricket is. She could sprout wings any day. I, If it happened, not a joke, I would be like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> so weird to God. She is so wildly interesting. Um, well, this week has been super fucking weird and heavy. And like, I don't know what to say about any of it. Um, the Derek Chauvin trial continues. Yeah, I keep looking at my phone because I know that the the jury as of this moment we're recording this on Tuesday morning as of this moment the jury has convened I guess to to try to 
come up with a verdict. I can't believe it was an instant. Um, have you guys ever been on a jury? Have you ever served on a jury? Yes, for like stupid shit. For stupid. Ray, you haven't? I have not. Mm-mm. I was on a car accident. Oh. Crime. Not car accident, crime. A car accident case. And um, I was pregnant with, it was when I was pregnant with Cricks. You ever and do it pregnant? They don't dismiss you for being pregnant? They do not. No, they do not. That's an, that's another flaw in our justice I kind of wanted, no, I kind of wanted to do it. I had oh. nothing else going on. It's like a, it's like a very, it's very, they're very short hours, those court hours. It's yeah. like, it's like 10 to four or something like that with an hour lunch. lunch. They take, they take yeah. their cues from Toto. Mm-hmm. Um, you meet like weird people on your jury that you would like never in a million years probably come in contact with otherwise, you know, like from all corners of the city that you're from. It's fascinating. And then, you know, if you're me, you spend a lot of time like making up backstories for the lawyers, obviously. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. And uh, coming up with your own worlds in which they return home to every night uh but of course i had you pro you've promised you vow i don't fucking know what the word is but you say you're not you're you don't you're not allowed to google anything about the case or the lawyers or whatever until it's all done and i was i really held to that but then i did google when i was done uh the lawyer who i had really built quite a story about because he had like a very slight limp and I was like, and he was the, he was like on the side of the guy who'd been injured. And so I just like had to build this whole narrative about what, how he got injured himself and why that's like when, how he went into um, being, what is the kind of lawyer called? Guys, my Personal is, injury attorney. Personal injury attorney. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Personal injury attorney. So, yeah, I created this whole thing, and then I Googled afterwards, and his his limp had uh, nothing to do with why he was a personal injury attorney. It was like, <laughs> I, was like I was like, barely. But it was, but he was like one of those guys, like a, you know, like a, he had settled a case for like $3 million or something, some big case. Oh, wow. And so he had... He had a name for himself in the personal injury world. But it was kind of mostly boring. And I liked my jurors and my other jurors. And our deliberation was interesting because people really took it seriously and paid attention, as you should. And I highly recommend everyone, if you're able to, do jury duty and your work, your employer allows you to, and you get called for it to participate because, first of all, it works way better when everybody willingly participates in the judicial system that is set up in this country. And we already know that it's so fucked and so, like, leaning toward bullshit anyway. So get in there, guys, if you, you know. I I have a good friend who was on, like, a 
very serious like rape and murder case. Oh God. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't I I was bummed because I was on kind of a boring trial. I don't I wouldn't want to be on anything. Listen, so, my car accident trial was not that interesting. Let's yeah. be real. I was on a super boring, like defective apartment building windows trial. I was like, I couldn't even believe it was a trial. But I did get to do an interesting thing. It was it happened when I was on a long-term hiatus from work. So I was on like a summer long hiatus. But I did have a vacation, like a prepaid vacation that I was going on in like three weeks that I let them know about. And they decided they thought that the case would be wrapped up in three weeks and it boringly was not. And so they decided to let me off of of the trial and switch in an alternate for me. So I did get to do this interesting thing where when you're a juror that gets switched off for an alternate, the attorneys get to um, kind of debrief you and ask you like how it's going. They both get to ask you a series of questions. That's fun. Well, they Whoa. asked us to do that at the end. Yeah. They, asked, they, do, they do that at the end, typically, of a trial. Yeah, I got to talk to them, like, mid-trial and let them know, like, how I thought it was going and how I thought they were doing. And the judge was present. And um, the judge said that he let me off because uh, he was understanding because his wife also worked in television and he knew that we only had limited time off every year and that he thought it would be unfair to make me miss my vacation. I think that's really nice. It was really nice. I have to say, like, I loved that the judge on my trial started it with some very rousing speech in which she was like, thank you all. (laughs) I have, oh, shit, that's right. She said, this is true. She was like, in my 25 years as a judge, This was the most pleasant jury selection that I have ever been a part of. Not one of you attempted to lie in order to get out of your duty as a citizen, which was true. Like all of us that were there, they asked us, you know, they ask you questions or whatever. And we all answered like super honestly. And nobody was like, I actually, I have, you know, when they ask you right in the beginning, like, does anyone have a, an extenuating circumstance? No one said that they did. Everybody stayed and like they picked the jury and it was super, it was like kind of fascinating. And, and I honestly, I believed her. I believed her when she said it was the nicest one she'd ever had (laughs) because I was like, cause I'm here and I need to be the best at whatever I fucking do, including this jury that I am now sitting upon. I was a rural juror. How would John Grisham have you? His book, The Last Juror. You know, <laughs> I mean, just so much shit is going on right now. What's happening? What's what's going on this week with you? Well, let's talk about what we're doing our best or not our best at this week. So I'm having like a really busy week. I'm just but it's all on spec. It's all spec, spec, spec. Maybe Hollywood break <laughs> um, when you're doing stuff in TV, in entertainment. Sometimes you do stuff on spec, which is like you do all the work and it's just to see if people like it. And are you writing? Like- are you writing our script for me? Yes, that and a bunch of other things. And you just write it to see if people like it, and then you try to sell it. And well, our script is that's not the deal with our script. No, Casey's yeah. writing a script. Casey is working on a a script for a film that I'm going to direct, and we're going to get funded independently. <laughs> and it's fucking brilliant. And Aww. I need her to 
hurry it up because next hiatus of <laughs> Girls Five Eva, we're gonna we gotta get this shit set up. Gotta get on do it. it. Get on it. I'm just I just like I'm so excited for it because I do feel like you haven't done that type of writing before, and everything that I've read that you've sent us um, has been so good. That's that really. Nice. I'm just like really excited to to read it, and I feel like you have so many great ideas and so many stories to tell and. Um, I don't know. I just am, I'm super excited about it. But that's Thank the movie you. I want. I've like oft thought about what movie I would want to direct. And I've always been like, I've gotten offers for like meetings on this indie that they want you to possibly direct it. Or, you know, I went into like a whatever. I've gone in on big jobs before to direct. And uh, everything I've just kind of been like, uh, 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 uh. And then when you were telling me this idea um, that you want to, you know, I was just like, oh, my God, this is fucking it. This is all I want to do. Uh, thank you so much. That means a ton to me. And it's been great. And that's like actually like a kind of fun slash it's exciting to work on because that's, you know, but all this other stuff, I'm just like working on it, trying to get it out there. And I'm like, are you interested in it? Do you want it? Do you want it? You know how that is. So it's just been like a really busy, <sighs> you know, trying to like mm -hmm. hustle and sell everything. But then the thing that I feel like I need a little bit of advice on, so maybe I can get, it's like a thing that I don't feel, I don't feel like it's me in my best moment. So maybe I can get advice from you and Raymond. Maybe I can get advice from our listeners. Is that like, okay, so I've been saying that I've been like walking around my neighborhood just to yes. like get out, you know, and like mm -hmm. get some, get some air and mm -hmm. get some, get a little bit of exercise. So like on my cul-de-sac, there's, a yard that I would like categorize as like a fun yard, you know, like this. <laughs> Why do I feel like it's not fun, guys? Why do no, I feel like I mean, say that's Casey's nice word for the yard? And if <laughs> me or Busy saw it, we'd have a much different adjective. No, you know, like they have like one of those little libraries where, like, if you're passing by, you could grab a book. Or well, that is fun. That you know, is fun. It's fun. And they have like a little um, stone wall where I feel like they probably put stones in it that they collected from like their travels or whatever. Or letters to Juliet. Yeah, exactly. So all that kind of stuff. But in the fun yard, they have like, um, they made like kind of like a faux river bed that is also filled with stones. And um, and I don't know the people that live there. They seem really nice. I like their choice of cars. Um, and I they when they're coming and going, they seem very nice. Um, and so in their faux riverbed, they have water. And it's, but it's like, it's not a real river. So it's just standing water. Uh, no, oh, pass, no. Pass, 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 mosquitoes. No. Right. And so that's Ugh. what I'm like, okay, and so, like, I can see the, it's like mosquito season now in LA, mm -hmm. which didn't used to be a problem, but now it is. It and, really like, is, I can guys. see the mosquito larvas in there. And so. <laughs> Are and you so, now dreaming about the mosquito larvas, Casey? Well, I'm like, we started this podcast with insect problems. I'm like, is it wrong if when I'm, like, walking by on my little walk just to, like, chuck a little like piece of like mosquito killer into the little fake river is that like is that is that like beyond the boundaries of what is my business to do well i just would con be concerned about um 
an- other animals that would. That's drink what I was going to say. Because what if they have a pu- a pup that drinks the mosquito uh-huh. stagnant water? Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, I would never put anything right. that's like harmful to other animals. Or why whatever. don't you get? Why don't you rent out an airplane and have it lot like fly low and just spray mosquito killer just over the entire neighborhood? I just googled it. The thing that I have that I already have in my possession is non tox <laughs> is non toxic. It says the only thing that it is toxic to it's a bacteria. The only thing it's toxic to is mosquito larvae. Throw it in. Oh, throw it in. Just throw it in. I just I don't want to I don't want to be a Karen like and like go against their freedom to have like mosquito larva in their yard if they want to, but like those mosquitoes are gonna fly around. No, they're flying over to but you. But here's the thing, here's the thing about Karens. Karens often are only selfishly doing something for yourself. You preventing a mosquito outbreak on your cul-de-sac is for the betterment of your neighborhood. Yeah. Also, you know, West Nile is in LA too now. So you're like possibly actually saving lives. The other thing that you could do is you could leave a note with the stuff. Yeah. Is that rude? Or you That's could call. Or you could, I think you just got to do it. Just like. Just, just do it. In just do it. Yeah. Not the middle of the night. Just fucking do it. Do the it The other thing I neglected to mention is like, I feel like I already have like a precedent for this because in their fun yard, they also have um, a bird feeder that is full of peanuts that squirrels oh. take and the squirrels come to our yard and bury the peanuts and our dogs go fucking mental every time a squirrel <laughs> is taking 20 minutes to bury a peanut from the fun yard in our yard. And I just feel like I know that like the mosquitoes are just going to follow the same path like right over. To I'm going to just... say something about the fun yard. It might be fun for them, <laughs> but it is not fun for anyone else in that neighborhood. I think also... Could you next door it and be like, guys, I feel like we're having a mosquito outbreak. Anyone else agree? <laughs> uh, just like plant the seed. You have to plant yeah, the seed. Yeah. You know? But also have- just throw that mosquito killer right in there. Yeah. I'm, I mean, the peanuts I'll- thing is so annoying. There was, that's so funny when I had like the very first house I lived in post living with Emily BB. Um, the house next door, this guy moved in with his wife and like, I don't know, a week or two after they moved in, they knocked on my door and he was like, hey, uh, I just have a question. Like, are you, like, are you throwing peanuts like over the wall? And I was like, what? No. Why would I throw peanuts over the wall? What are you talking about? No. (laughs) And he's like, I'm like constantly getting hit with peanut shells. (laughs) And I'm like, that is really <laughs> insane. And then turns out, like, a few days later or whatever, see him outside. And he's like, oh, my God, you're not going to believe it. I was like, what? The previous owners had a giant bag of peanuts that they were, like, feeding all of the squirrels in the neighborhood. And so the squirrels knew they had, like, left it in this side shed, you know, like behind a thing so oh that the new owners maybe wouldn't find it for their squirrel friends, I guess. They wanted their <laughs> squirrel friends to be taken care of after they've moved out. And so these squirrels were like going and getting the peanuts and then sitting up in the trees and like throwing the casings down on this new family that had moved in. Can you imagine then- how insane you would feel <laughs> if you just felt peanut shells <laughs> raining down on you in your yard? Also, I feel like peanuts are a thing of the past. 
Like hearing you guys talk about peanuts. It's, it's like so weird. Peanuts aren't a thing anymore because of nut allergies. It's like friggin' Texas Roadhouse in my neighborhood. And the squirrels <laughs> in my neighborhood. <laughs> the squirrels in my neighborhood are thick. They are like, they have unlimited access to peanuts. Thanks That's to the, thanks to the fun funny. yard. I will say it is so beautiful here in New York right now. Like spring is really sprung. And this morning I was like, I'm like fucking snow white out here. Like <laughs> the trees blossomed. There's all these like cute squirrels that are not super thick. They're just happy, appropriate sized squirrels. So far, no mice sightings, thank God. But the birds were like, there's like cardinals and like bright colored Aww. birds everywhere. You know what you should keep your eyes out for, which you, I don't think we have here in LA. Go by some churchyards, take the girls by at dusk for fireflies. Oh, I don't think they're out yet. I don't think it's warm enough yet. Yeah, but we're that'll, still be, that'll be exciting. Because that is exciting. I love fireflies. They probably haven't seen a whole lot of those. No. So Cricket will be like, oh, my friends. My friends are back. <laughs> well, what are you doing your best at this week, Ray? Oh, um, I, I, I think it goes back to my bike accident. I just like feel like I'm doing my best at getting back on the horse. Like, I really injured myself. And <laughs> it's unclear whether or not I punctured my lung. We're going to just find out. Um, but I like got back on the bike the next day. I had to. He had to. I, I like, was. I was like, "What?" Yeah. Never Busy called again. me and was like, I "Where are you?" Was like, get off the bike, Ray. And he's like, "No, Busy. That's not. That's literally not the expression." Yeah. It's like you're you not supposed get- to, n- <laughs> to never ride the bike again. I was like, "I want you off the bike. <laughs> I'm terrified." But I am. I'm. I'm back on. I'm back on the bike. I'm doing it. I also ordered a helmet so everyone can stop telling me to wear Good. a helmet. I'm glad I, about yeah. that. Also, I we have helmets, helmets downstairs. I have a helmet. Yeah, but that's probably for like a small person's head. No, no, no. I have one and I have a giant head. Oh. Well, I ordered. Uh, don't worry. It's it's going to be a helmet fashion show. Fantastic. Okay? I, I ordered wait. options. So I'm just like doing my best at like just getting back on. And like I think that like. Me a month ago in my New York crisis would have been like, I'm never riding a bike again and going home. But this week I'm like, man, I just got to get back on, you know, just what can I do? I'm not getting on the train. Also stop calling it the train. It's the subway. I'm not getting on. So I'm just going to keep riding my bike. You can call it the train if you want, by the way. I don't think so. It goes underground. You don't have to call it the subway. You can call it whatever you want. But um, can we just talk a little bit about, do you mind talking about how the accident happened, how the bike accident happened? Oh, yeah, sure. I was um, biking to work, uh, and I had left with plenty of time. And to be honest, here's the thing. I'm very comfortable on the bike. I feel great on it. Like, I've been riding a bike my whole life. I've actually had a couple of tumbles on a bike as a child. And it was a Tuesday morning. It was beautiful out. I was on the Williamsburg Bridge. It's one of the three bridges that connects Brooklyn to Manhattan. And I was coming down the bridge and I was just feeling confident and I was going super fast. And I'm like, oh, today's going to be a great day. The sun is out. I'm early for work. Like things are coming up me. And I was just going fast. And there's a part where you like when you dismount from the bridge to the street, you kind of go down this like little ramp thing. And I didn't slow down as much as I probably should have. And I went down the thing and the bike just came out from under me, sort of. And I just like in slow motion made eye contact with the woman. She just looked at me and was like, he's going down. And I was like, I'm going down. And then I just like tumbled over the front of the bike, landed on my right arm and like 
am fully bruised. Can you see that bruise? Yeah. Ugh, it's rough. not it's great. Rough. It's a big one. It's a big one. Can it's I tell you, one. you know, famously, the last thing I did before the pandemic lockdown was go to see Oprah's uh, Vision yes. 2020 tour, the one yes. where she fell down in Los Angeles. Yes, but, and everyone was like, oh. Yes, little known detail is she was literally talking about balance, like in the minute, like mm. right before she fell down. She was talking it's a about great vid. how you need to be balanced. But mm-hmm. like she fell down. And then mm. the first thing she said was when she like regained her composure, but as she was still sitting on the floor, was, You funny, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> that's I wish I had known that before I fell off the bike. Because so you would have said it. Of course, you would have said it. I would have been like, "You got it." That's what you just made me think of when you're yeah, like, you "I was feeling Jesus. very yeah. confident." I was. I was like, I was passing people in the bike lane on the bridge. I'm like, look at this slow poke. Here I go. Just, I'm gonna be so early to work. I'm gonna just be on it. Like today is my day. The sun is out. Like. He hath risen, you know, and then <laughs> boom, just right back down. Oh no. my and then gosh. I like hobbled to, I broke, the, it was just a mess. But I got back on the next day. I, I had to. I so like I that. I'm, just, I'm so proud of you. And I yeah. feel like it does, like, <laughs> I love that. I love that Oprah is like, feels like falling down is like Jesus playing a joke on her. Like that would put it in perspective. Like Jesus just likes to joke around with me. Yeah, that's exactly it. To me, that's what it was. It was like, oh, God was like, oh, you... Oh, you you think you're uh, Lance Armstrong on the Williamsburg Bridge? Lest you not forget you're riding an electric bike that you rent daily. Watch yourself. Also, not only did he, like, make me fall, like, the only thing I really care about on my body as someone who falls all the time is my face because I'm really shallow. And I scarred my face. So, like... You did not scar your face. Okay. You went and saw... The, it's, a, it's, a, it's merely a scratch... It is not the road rash of which you speak. But it feels that way to me. Busy, remember when you burned two dots on your face making latkes? <laughs> it was I her have eye. A scar. I still have a scar under my eye. The, I mean, that oil splattered. The fact that I did not Casey's lose. Casey's laughing so hard. I, an eye. eye burn. She was there. Casey was there. <laughs> The fact I don't that, need to laugh. But. I mean, you are laughing. <laughs> you are. You're you're taking joy out of it because what Casey I, was trying to do was point a lesson out to Busy about how much she cares about her face and that I care about my face. And then Busy's like, "Why are you laughing?" I mean, I do care about my face, Obvi. Obvi, it's your moneymaker. Yes, yes. Well, you know the story. I think it did. I write this in my book that when I dislocated my knee super drunk when I was on Dawson's Creek. God, thank, I still, every day, thank the sweet Lord that camera phones didn't exist, that TMZ didn't exist, that I was allowed to just be a messy fucking bitch (laughs) when I was 21. And then I grew up and became a different person. But my point was that as I was super messy and drunk and had dislocated my knee and they were like carting me out on a stretcher to go to the hospital... In my head, there was like a funny thing that I could, a bit that I could do with the paramedics where I'm like, don't touch the face. It's the (laughs) moneymaker. But 
that was just like in my head that that would be funny. And these paramedics are just like, don't know who the fuck, like they don't care and they're not my friends. Do you know what I mean? Right, right. And so I tried to do the bit to them and they were just like staring at me so horrified. And then they were like, I mean, have, have you taken drugs? I'm like, you know, like- She's in shock. I was like, it's the money maker. That's, don't, not the face. Don't touch the face. <laughs> like drunkenly being wheeled out, thinking that it was like hilarious, a hilarious joke that would get them all on my side. It did not get them nope. anywhere near on my side. Quite the opposite, in fact, if you can believe it. <laughs> they did not care for me at all. <sighs> uh, Biz, what are you doing your best at this week? I don't know, dude. I'm trying to, I'm just, I don't fucking know. I don't know. What am I doing my best at? You've been doing press for Girls 5 Eva. It's been really, really nice. I love my Girls 5 Eva. I've seen now almost a lot of the episodes now, guys. And show really holds up. <laughs> It's really good. It's good. really good. It's like crazy how good it is. I can't, I've never been involved in something this good, I don't think. And I feel like I've been involved with really good stuff. It's so, I love it so much. But also, I just love it. It's like, oh, Casey, it's that thing. And maybe I've said this about Girls 5 other even. You know, like Casey and I always talk about all we want to really do is like make stuff for ourselves and our friends and like, yeah. The people that we that are close to us that we feel like don't get the stuff made for them. Right. And watching Girls 5 Eva has been so joyful for me because I'm like, uh, this is like made for me. Yes. This is literally made for the three of us. Yes. That's exciting. Yeah. It's like, I mean, and also Mark liked it too. And he's not, you know, gay. I don't know. I don't know what his Kinsey scale number is. Let's be real. <laughs> when you were telling Shea Coulee and Shay was like, oh my God, I'm such a girl group lover. You know, that's what happens when you let somebody different tell a story. That's what happens. It's like, oh, finally, something for me. Right. And even though it's made for you guys, that doesn't mean that other people aren't going to like it. And well, that's what that's... people have to realize. That's right. the thing. Because we've been watching stuff all along that hasn't I was been made for that. us. Right. And enjoyed it. I've enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah. I've enjoyed mm -hmm. a lot of it. A not lot of mad it. About not. It. A lot of it I have not. Yeah, a lot. I'm no. not gonna lie. Not. And like oh. a lot I've fake laughed at, <laughs> a lot of I've tuned out, you know, a lot. Right. But a lot I've enjoyed. Well, but now, but here this is this perfect little thing that's made for us and it's so joyful. And Everybody needs a fucking break. Like I've been very, I've been very emotional. Like I, that Adam Toledo, oh my God, a fucking kid in Chicago being shot. Like, yeah, we don't want to watch these fucking videos. We don't want to look, but also you have to stay mad and you have to stay engaged and you have to keep pushing for divesting funds and for putting funds back where it matters. And even just like, we were driving upstate and I just saw these like police officers, you know, speeding and pulling people over and, uh, you know, like zooming up and pulling people over or whatever, like, catching people in traps. And I was just like, it's the whole system is fucked. Like even that, even highway patrol is fucked. You I know, just because saw it's a just... video of police officers taking people's bikes away. The black kids? Yeah, just taking their bikes away because they were had unlicensed bikes. And I was like, what the fuck are licensed bikes? I it's fucking insane. It's all, but it's all like a system in order 
to make sure that they can keep power, that these white... Yeah, to oppress us. Yeah, so that these white supremacists can keep power. Did we talk about that? About the something hanging in your rearview mirror law? Yeah, a little bit previously. Yeah. Okay. I can't remember. I saw a lot of people tweeting like, you know you're fucked when your friend is talking about a mass shooting and then they have to tell you which one. Right. They're talking about, and it's the same thing with, you know, black and brown bodies being targeted and murdered by police. It's hard. It's hard. I mean, that's why Say Their Names is so powerful. That's why Black Lives Matter is so powerful. And, you know, I know that there has been a, an attempt to take down Patrice Calores, who's one of the co-founders of the Black Lives Matter movement in order, you know, to really discredit the entire thing. And I just feel like, historically speaking, this is a repeated pattern, right? Like, yes. obviously she's being targeted. Obviously, like, they want to take the power away from the movement. And the trick as a white person, I'm speaking for myself, Raymond and Casey, um, the trick for me is to is to not fall for the trap of like, oh, but maybe we don't know the whole story and da-da-da-da-da. It doesn't like, it actually ceases to matter because it is like a targeted attempt to take a woman in a position of power, a black woman down. And it's, right. and it's like unacceptable. And our silence in that is unacceptable because that's like historically where white people like back away and they're like, oh, actually, I just like don't know enough about that to like really say anything. Right. And it's just like in these cases of like these police shootings, you don't need to know the whole story because. Well, that was I was just losing my fucking shit on my Instagram for a minute. You don't need to know the whole story because the whole story is police don't need to execute people in the streets for anything, anything. Anything ever. You don't need to know the whole story. You don't need to know the whole story. That's it. Nobody needs to die in the street for anything. And by the way, we can stop pulling people over for very, you know. Well, that's the point. Well, that's the point. That's the point, right? This is is the whole idea. And guys, like, listen, obviously, I'm not a fucking doctor. I... If you want to take that supplement, fine. I'm also not a fucking scholar. I'm just a person who reads some shit, listens to some shit, and empathetically knows in my heart what is right and what fucking makes sense and what does not. And like what sits so wrong for me is when I post on my Instagram and somebody responds like, you need to get your facts straight. He had a warrant out for his arrest. His bad decisions are what caused him to be killed. And that voice sucks, period. And I'm never going to do it again. But also, but also, that argument is so steeped in your own fucking ingrained white supremacy that you can't even fucking see outside of it and you need to get your facts straight and you need to do some fucking work and listen to a goddamn podcast about it. Not this one. I'm just ranting. But listen to like a, like somebody who can really speak to you or read a fucking book. I just can't take it. I can't fucking take it. I just don't understand. 
I don't get these people justifying why do they think that the police are there to protect and serve everyone when they're clearly targeting and have been targeting black and brown bodies for since the inception of the police. Here's the thing. Because when you start to pick apart who, you know, he had a warrant out for his arrest, all that, you start to see like, well, what was the warrant for? Oh, something that your nephew also did, you know? Um, And why was there, uh, why was the warrant unpaid? Oh, because it was sent to the wrong address. I could call and get weed delivered to my house right now. I could call, I could make a fucking, I could text someone and have as much weed as I fucking wanted delivered here and probably mushrooms too. And I don't even know what else because I don't fucking know, but probably whatever the fuck I wanted. Right. And so here's the thing. So when you're saying like, okay, so this officer, like, you know, in the case of Dante Wright or, or you know, whoever we're talking about, this officer, she thought she had a taser, and but it was a gun and it was a mistake and she fired it because she feared for her life. If, if, if she was in fear for her life, then why'd she pull him over for an air freshener? If that's so dangerous, stop doing it. Stop doing it. If that puts your life in danger, don't pull someone over for an air freshener because nobody was in danger until you did that. Your life, your life was safe in your police car until you did that. So if that endangers the lives of police officers, stop doing it. Just take down the license plate number and send a ticket in the mail. We don't want police officers to die over an air freshener. That's silly. And so send tickets to everyone that has air fresheners on their mirrors based on their license plate numbers. We, you know, we have red light if cameras. That's what, if that's what the law if, is really about. If, if that's it's really, what it's about. If, you're, if what you're saying is that the law is like obstruction and a safety issue, well then, my friends, then those tickets can just easily be written by traffic cops mm-hmm. um, in parking lots. Or, that's yeah, what I'm going to say. But yeah. that's not what the law is about, guys. Obviously, and I'm just saying this for anyone listening who like maybe doesn't understand. The law is about giving a reasonable excuse for officers to pull over whoever the fuck they want. Even if the person's not doing anything wrong, they're following all the rules, they're turning right when it's green, whatever the fuck. They didn't roll through a stop sign. But if they have that and the officers are just like, let's stop this guy and see if he's got any weed on him. Right. Let's stop this guy. Let's frisk. Let's stop and frisk this guy. It and is. Then, it's like fucking racist. And it. I know. I've heard from black friends that you know when white people start to say, you know, I've done this, 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 and this, and I never got a warning. I never got a ticket. I never was arrested. That that weighs heavy on their hearts too. Like that gets exhausting too. And white people are like well-meaning by saying like, you know, I'm standing up and saying like I did all this shit and I got away with it. And that that does fucking suck. I'd imagine to hear that. You know, when people are well-meaning and trying to say like I wasn't treated the same but it's it's got to suck to hear that um but well, censure it that is centering your own experience yeah centering your own experience but so then if you turn around and you and you imagine and try to center the experience of what it's like so if you're if you're hearing that you know, we're making up all of these laws to make excuses to try to pull over or stop or to inconvenience black or brown people. Of course, people have warrants because, you know, 
You have an air freshener on your mirror. You have an unlicensed bike. You have a tail light out that you didn't know about. You have a petty weed charge. You right. were found with the amount of weed that I like have on me at all times. You didn't return a library book. You have like a fucking blockbuster tape still that you like your grandma didn't return. I did. I did find a blockbuster tape um, when we I'm, were moving. I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> you know, and those are things that like we've we have all gotten away with historically and people of color have not been let off the hook for. And so those things stack up and stack up and lead to like just this list, this like fucking CVS receipt of shit that then people can go to your record and go to your file and then hold against you. And what the fuck is that about? What the fuck is that about? I mean, it's obvious what it's about when white people want to do that to someone. That's white supremacy. But then when people who would say, I'm not a racist, but we don't know the whole story. We don't have all the facts, and I'm reserving judgment until we have all the facts. Then you have to examine what that is about. And that is... But that's the thing. That's the thing. And that's giving the benefit of the doubt to not the black or brown person in question, you know, in the story. You're, you you might not consider yourself a racist. You might not consider yourself upholding white supremacy, but you're helping. Well, and you are upholding it and supporting it. Right. And continuing an ideology and a message that is wrong and steeped in racism, which is like, if you just do everything right, everyone has a fair chance. If you just follow the rules and you do everything right, you too can go to college and get a good job and do better and buy a house. Except, except that black and brown people in this country were not allowed to do those same things that your grandparents and great-grandparents were allowed to do. And except that's a lie because how many times... It's a fucking lie. How many times have we heard... You know, they should have just complied with that officer. But here's the thing. You can't hold your hands up and get your registration out of the glove compartment. You can't. So when Black people are talking about how afraid they are in that moment, when there are apps or that you can use Siri to dial your fucking mom when you're getting pulled over so that it can start recording you and so that you can talk to somebody at your home to say I'm being pulled over right now, so can you listen in on this? Like your own version of a body cam. Then, you know, we have a serious fucking problem. <sighs> we have a serious fucking problem, that's for sure. So I'm just like, I'm try- yeah, I'm trying to do my best and like I'm a little bit flailing in terms of like what do I do? Like where do you, what do I, sh- where do I show up? And then I guess I'm just like, well, that's why I brought it up today. I just don't want to, I don't want to get desensitized. I don't want to get wrapped up in like other shit. Here's the deal. Like this is just the part of being a person. And maybe this is what I'm doing my best at this week is that it's okay to hold multiple things 
Like, it's okay to be really fucking sad about, like, all of the shootings and the kids dying and babies growing up without their fathers and police brutality and people making excuses for it. It's okay to be, like, really fucking upset about that shit and also, like, excited about my TV show and, like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I guess it doesn't feel like there is sometimes room, but you know. Yeah. No, I I have been feeling that so hard this week. It was just thing after thing after thing after thing. And I was like, like, it's just moment of silence after moment of silence until you're just like, are we all just going to be silent forever? Yeah. I, I feel like as a person who like has worked their entire life to not let, I don't know. I think from my experience being someone who is a person of color, but it's like not immediately identifiable to most people because I've assimilated so well. And I think that like Ashley spoke on this about this on the podcast last week and I was listening to her and I felt like she spoke to something that I related to in the sense that like you didn't want people to see that in you because you would then have to fight against it. And in this moment, that's what I've, been finding so challenging is like when do you speak up or what do you say because at this point I'm paralyzed you know Mm -hmm. because it's like you finally feel like okay I know what I want to say I I know the conversations I want to have with my friends and then something else happens and it's it's hard to like share what you're thinking to the the world because there are always going to be people who disagree with you or like want the facts but I think that what I've realized is that like you know because so many of my friends have been like, why haven't you said anything? Or like, what do you think? And I was like, I think that it has to go back to, and it it all comes, this to me all comes full circle, is that like, you have to listen to people of color, like myself or, you know, Black people, and like know their real experience. Because until you put a face that you know to it, you know, it's like, like you were saying, like, say her name, say his name. It's like, you don't know what their lived experience was. And then, so then you don't understand how the system has oppressed them their whole life. And I think that the best thing you can do is like, at least for me as a person of color, like the way that I'm handling it, it's just like talking to my friends being like, hey, like, you know, I don't know if I've ever talked about this, but like, I've worked my whole life to not appear like to like stand out for this because I knew it was a disadvantage to me systematically. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't going to be afforded the same opportunities. And I was told that by my parents because of the color of my skin or our financial background or like where my grandparents were born. But what, what I can do is like, be better and then like try and become this example in the community. But what Ashley was saying is that you become this example and you're like, oh, wait, I'm not even identifying as this thing because I've been told or conditioned that that's going to hold me back. Right. And so I think now for me, like in everything that's happening in the shootings and like the, you know, like someone was asking me the other day about my dad, like, how's he doing? Like as an older Asian man and there was like a shooting in what the town that we're from. And I was just like, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. But what I can tell you is, is that this was my experience growing up. And this is why we have to give people the grace. And this is why it doesn't matter that he had a warrant because you don't know his fucking experience, you know? And I think that's my biggest message to people who are like, I want the facts. It's like, no, you need to give that person grace because no matter what, they were human first. And like you guys said, like just to echo everything, like 
No one deserves to be shot in cold blood on the street. They just don't. And, like, that's the problem. Yeah, and it's also storytelling, right? You and I have talked about this, too. It's hard when you live in a world where, like, the top shows for 30 years have been all, like, police shows that have followed the same tropes and have painted police in one way and the bad guys in another way. And it really does permeate the culture. It just does, guys. It fucks with your brain. It tells you who you think is good and who you think is bad. And it makes you think that you're like a fucking expert on this shit. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know. It's like there are so many layers to like how deep and, you know, deep, deep. Deep, it's a, it's a lot. how deep it all is, but you have to keep asking questions. You have to like dig deeper, and you can't just, um, yeah. And I, I think know. we, I think we tend to fill in a lot too. I think a huge problem, especially, especially with white women, white people, but white women. That's my experience. Is that we fill in we center ourselves. So mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. my idea of Raymond's story is how Raymond's story features me, like starring Casey, <laughs> like what's <laughs> Raymond Padilla's story starring Casey St. Ange, you know what I mean? So right, right. when I think of Ray, I think of like all the scenes of Ray's life that feature me and like, the, truth be told, uh, I don't have a lot to fucking do with the story of Ray. You know what yeah. I mean? Like you and have then a that's, whole. That's that's the same, and that's relatable to everyone because yes. that's the that's the problem, right? It's just it, you just nailed it on the head. Is that people who are commenting on Busy's Instagram or you're talking to are going, "What's their relationship to me?" And it's like that's not the point. The point was, is how were they oppressed by the system and how are they not afforded the same opportunities that then lead to their death, their wrongful death? That's what we need to fix. And then I just, I know Patrice Calores, you know, I worked with her. I met her through the Reform LA Jails initiative that she had passed. Um... I think she's just an incredibly impressive, phenomenal human and woman. She's one of the the women that started the Black Lives Matter movement. And she is an artist and educator and like has her P. I mean, she's like a genius. She's a genius. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to see her being like taken down and dragged by Reddit, started on Reddit, of course, as all trash does. And then like just permeated the Fox News cycle because they don't want to talk about the Derek Chauvin case. They don't want to talk about the mass shootings that are happening, the 10 mass shootings that happen. They don't want to talk about the Adam Toledo video. They don't want to talk about any of that shit. So but what they do want to talk about I haven't even like actually look read the accusations, the right. some of the the more inflammatory articles, but I've no I mean I've seen enough. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they just want to like they want to defame her, they want to take her the fuck down, they want to discredit her. They want to discredit her so that they can discredit the entire movement. Exactly. Which is like what has happened to black leaders 
throughout history, guys. Right. And if you fucking fall for it now, I don't know what to tell you. Right. Right. Yeah. Anyway, Patrice, I'm fucking here for you. We support you. We support you. We support you. I support Black Lives Matter. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing. It's not even like it. And I'm sure Patrice Colors would say this. The Black Lives Matter movement isn't her. You know what I mean? It's beyond her. She's just a person. She's just a vessel for the movement. It's just something that she started. So, like, you can try to take her down. You can try to take her down. It's beyond her. And Mm -hmm. so, like, it's very misguided to try to take her down in the first place. Because now it's an idea and now it's a movement and Mm -hmm. it really is, as far as I'm concerned, unstoppable. I agree. Mm -hmm. You know, it's out there in the universe. And so to focus on this one person and to try to, to try to stop it in that way by, by well, that's historic, but that's historic. Like that's, that's historically speaking how they've had success in the past. And so, you know, these motherfuckers are just like retreading their, their old ground in the playbook of their fucking racist ideology and how they like get this shit done and over with so that they can like what go live comfortably in their fucking mansions i'm still so confused what these motherfuckers are in all in this for like what person in the world i get it we all like stuff i mean we're in a weird capitalist fucking mess right now but like but like, what do they need? What do these men, white men and women need that like, why do they think that other people of other races succeeding or being able to like have health care is going to fuck them so hard? Did Can I try to articulate something that is going to sound like I'm so high? <laughs> yes, please. Okay. So like in our industry, in the entertainment industry, Whenever they make a quote-unquote black movie or a quote-unquote women's movie, they're like, okay, Mm -hmm. Hollywood's going to roll the dice and we're going to make Black Panther or we're going to make Bridesmaids. It better fucking succeed because this is your one shot. And they're counting on the fact that people won't care. People won't come out. And every time, every time they do that, it either succeeds or it fails. And when it succeeds, they say it is a fluke. That was always, it's always a fluke. It was a one-off. And when it fails, they say, see, told you, can't Mm -hmm. risk having a failure like that again. But over time, what they have learned is like in general, a a quote unquote black movie or a quote unquote women's movie is in general financially a successfully sound business investment. It is a smart investment for the film industry to make overall. So to not continue doing it is a is a stupid business move. So to not do it is a choice, right? To not mm-hmm. do it is a choice that the patriarchy is making because they're leaving money on the table, right? Money is power, right? Mm -hmm. So, okay, how do I say this? Money is power. So they could get more money by giving Mm -hmm. more movies to black people or to women of Mm -hmm. all colors and get more money 
and get mm-hmm. more power in the form of money, but they would mm-hmm. have to give away some intrinsic power to black people or women of all colors. Mm-hmm. They right. would prefer not to give away that intrinsic power and go without the money. Mm-hmm. Right. That's it. Mm-hmm. So that's and, it. Yeah. That's fucking it. That's it. Controlling and, the narrative. Yes. And that's it. And that's what I feel like is it for everything. People would rather go without certain things and hold on to the intrinsic power of Mm -hmm. whiteness. And Mm -hmm. that's women and white women and white men. Yeah. Hold on to the intrinsic power than the symbolic power of money or property, whatever, whatever, whatever. I I sound like I'm on so much cold medicine. I know. Are you on cold medicine? No. Oh, okay. No, you sound great. Yeah, I thought, I thought that was really. <laughs> I was smart. like, I didn't think, I didn't think you sounded like you're old medicine. No. I'm not like, I'm not a scholar either. But like, just when I realized that, I was like, oh, oh, I mm-hmm. see, I see the whole world. It's fucking fascinating. It is fascinating. I do get like, it's fascinating, and also it's not at all because like real people's real lives are being destroyed. Right. Okay, this, I mean, all right, well. We really, we were like plugging Girls 5 Eva and then we got into I was trying like, to, I was trying to slow burn the. Yeah. The, I don't know what happened, guys. We, listen, I do, I do actually. This is the world that we fucking live in. And the truth is like we said when I was going to talk about my abortion on on busy tonight, which is, and then we had to talk about the looks from the Met Gala mm-hmm. or the Golden Globes or whatever. Was it yeah. the Golden Globes? I don't know. Fuck, I don't what know. The fuck it was. But I it was a it was hard, the Met Gala. It, yeah. it was a hard. It was a hard turn. It was yeah. a hard turn to make. But like, isn't that what we are all collectively being asked to do in this moment? Is like have every these day. conversations every single day. Have these conversations. You might not know the answers. We might not know the answers. There may be missteps, but ask the questions, fucking dig in. And then also you're like, but also you really do should watch Girls 5 Eva on Peacock because um, it is so goddamn delightful and I'm so proud to be a part of it. Here's how you do it. You have these hard conversations and then after these hard conversations, we all need a little break. Just like <laughs> a, a mental reprieve. It's like when you're running a marathon, you got to eat a banana on the road, you know? Or that goo. And sometimes you got to shit yourself, guys. And with that, let's get into I was so excited that, where is that? Is that you? That is that was the fun like, house? That's like someone peeling out. Yeah, it is was probably a, someone peeling out from the fun like house. The fun yard, yeah. Oh, boy. Get the fuck out of here. Probably, the, it fun was probably yard. your counterpart d- jumping in the mosquito <laughs> repellent and peeling away. I swear to away. God, it's like, if you don't text us that you did that today, Casey, then I you're need, not doing I want photographic evidence. I want that's what I want on a camera phone. Uh-huh. I want to. I want it. Sorry. I'd actually love need drone it. footage from Lincoln <laughs> of you running into the yard and dropping I in the repellent. I want to see it. You're doing it. You're doing it tonight. Anyway, uh, guys, over the next several weeks until um, Girls Five Veva premieres on Peacock May sixth, streaming. Very exciting. Uh, we are going to be interviewing, talking with 
some of my Girls 5 Eva co-stars and friends. We had Ashley Park last week. This week, we are joined by the incredible Sarah Bareilles, who is just the best, most lovely human of all time, maybe. So sweet and lovely and the best. And I love her. So why don't you listen to this? Guys, Casey and I really had a moment. We've had some. We've had several. Let's be real. And we decided, like, moving forward, we want to do ads for things that we just, like, fucking love. We really do. And Bev made that cut. We love Bev so much. You know you've heard us talk about Bev before. You have. Yes. It's a female-founded and run business. It's canned wine that was founded in order to change not just the way a product is consumed, but the way an entire industry and culture has operated for generations. It's an industry, winemaking, that's almost exclusively masculine. But Bev is breaking norms and creating something from the female perspective that's approachable, it's fun, it's consumer-centric, and most of all, it's delicious. That's my favorite part. Yeah. And they have four varietals. Rosé, that's my fave, Sauve Blanc, Pinot Gris, and Pinot Noir. What's your favorite? Rosé, I think. Yeah, I just love a rosé, guys. I'm just a real basic bitch like that. (laughs) It's rosé season. I just want, all I want is like a charcuterie board, my Bev rosé. It gets so cold in those cans. It's dry, it's crisp, it's a little fizzy, Super refreshing, delicious, zero sugar, and only no sugar. three carbs and 100 calories per serving. So we love if you, you, Bev. If you pay attention to you. that kind of stuff, there you go. That's the facts. We love you. And just a heads up, I'm out of rosé. But listen, <laughs> we also have a deal worked out for you guys at home. Our Busy Phillips is doing her best podcast listeners. You can receive 20% off your first purchase plus free shipping on all orders. I would suggest to you that maybe you want to get the best-selling Ladies' Night Variety Packs. You can check out all of the varietals. Go to drinkbev.com slash busy or use the code busy, B-U-S-Y, at checkout to claim the deal. That's D-R-I-N-K-B-E-V dot com slash busy. And those four packs are great for gifting, hosting, and social distance hangs. So now that everybody's getting vaccinated, maybe you want to, you know, bring a little four pack with you. So place those orders now. Guys, the commercial was over. Casey kept going. (laughs) Go get your Bev. Guys, let's just get into it because we're so excited. So excited. So excited that our guest today is none other than my friend and co-star on the new Girls 5 Eva coming to Peacock, I don't know, May 6th in in its entirety? Yes. Is that right? All of them. All of them. Just do your laundry and binge them because it's going to be so good. Uh, And you know her and love her from her songs. I'm trying to do it. 
Casey, this is my attempt at doing an introduction. Sarah, Casey makes fun of me because I don't do good introductions of people. And then Casey's like, we should just tell the people what they might know. The guest room. And I was like, if they don't fucking know who Sarah Bareilles is, they don't deserve to listen to this podcast. Um, but also, I do feel that way. If you don't know who Sarah Bareilles is, you don't really deserve. This is the one case where, like, people really should know, you know, where she needs no introduction. She's one of those people that I like to say she's been nominated for everything that ends with a Y. She's won a whole bunch of them. No, that's not true. I haven't won a bunch of everything. I've won one thing, but I've been nominated a bunch of times. You've, You've been, been nominated, nominated for, for everything. everything. You have a Grammy. Let's be, you have a Grammy. I have one Grammy that I just won. <laughs> yeah, just, that I just I literally won. did. I just won it. And I just received it like two, well, let's see, probably at this point, maybe like two months ago. Yeah, because yeah, when I came over, I came over to your house and I saw the Grammy in person. That's right. And don't you think whenever I'm doing anything on video for real, I am positioning that Grammy in the background. Yeah, you better. 100% of the time. I love how she's like, I've been, I've been nominated for everything, but I only won a Grammy. As if like most people don't never get nominated for anything, but when they do, they usually only get nominated in one lane. But you've been nominated for like everything. Well, I mean, I, a few things, yeah. It's a few things. I mean, it's been a cool. It's been an interesting. Lots of and, left turns. In my and you're career young. That I didn't you're young. You have like still so, so yeah. many more things to be nominated for. Very young at heart. Is what <laughs> I like to I'm excited from. to see what we're going to be nominated for for Girls Five Eva. Yes. <laughs> I, I kind of want to start there. I I I feel like. Certainly you've... Oh, and your album comes out that week, too. Yeah. Well, album comes out uh, May 21st. I don't know where, oh, okay. where we are in time at this moment, but yeah. This May is 21st. before Girls 5... So, yeah. So, your album comes out May 21st, and it's your Live at the Hollywood Bowl album. Correct. Yeah. Which you recorded pre-pandemic, obvs. Obvs. And I didn't know. I was thinking about this. I had no idea when we were on that tour... And that tour, the Amidst the Chaos tour was like a really big deal for me personally because I was playing like venues I had only ever dreamed about. I played Madison Square Garden. Like I was like, uh-huh. I honestly, like I'd never, ever, ever imagined I would be on those stages and Hollywood Bowl being one of them. And as an artist who came up in LA, I was like, that's the the venue that you fixate on. It's like, that is the, the you know, like the pinnacle. So um, I knew I wanted to record it and then, Little did I know those would be the last live shows for the foreseeable future. And then some shit went down, y'all. You're not kidding. Were you still touring during when the pandemic really took over? I, I went to London and was in Waitress. I was starring in the West End with my friend Gavin Creel. We went over... And spent six weeks in London doing Waitress. And then we had extended for an extra two weeks. And then on the seventh week, basically, you know, the UK, it was just not, COVID wasn't real yet, even though in the States, people were really starting to panic and understand that like, this was a very real threat. 
we were like out at bars and doing the, I mean, we were just no masks, no nothing. Wow. And then really there was like, it felt like it was almost an overnight shift. Then these travel, the travel bans started starting cropping up. And then we were like, oh my God, we might actually get stuck here. So we cut our run short and like we packed up and we're gone like the next day. So it was, it was like a really, it was crazy. And then came home and then we all got COVID. So I'm pretty sure I brought it with me, but I didn't, I wasn't sick at the time, but when I got home and then everybody in our cast had gotten it. So, um, yeah, it was wild. So you think you got it there and then brought it back? I sure do. Wow. Sorry, New York. That was me. Well, I don't think you're responsible for, like, I don't think you're patient zero in New York. I don't think I I am either. And I really, I got back and didn't really do shit. I didn't leave my apartment, but um, yeah, it was wild. We just didn't have, I can't even tell you. I, what I remember thinking was like, oh my gosh, getting this wonderful perspective from American media and how everything is so inflamed and you know, built up. And I was like, it's so much nicer in Europe. And then I realized like, oh no, we were being idiots. I thought I was like very concerned about it. And when I brought, took Birdie over there for that long weekend, the second week of February, I remember like I was nervous and I was looking at all the people out in bars and I was like, this feels, this feels weird. This feels weird. Yeah. Hmm. But I don't know. Who knew? Who knew? Well, I mean, we couldn't couldn't have known that this was going to be our reality. Sure enough. Guys, I'm going to do the thing. I'm going to do it. If you didn't know, Sarah was starring in Waitress in the West End, reprising a role that she had starred in on Broadway because Sarah Bareilles wrote the music and lyrics for Waitress the Musical. Yeah. There you go. I'm really glad you got that out there. You know what? I felt like it needed to be said. <laughs> you know what I didn't really, do you know what I totally forgot, Sarah? Because, and I like have never told you that last year Birdie was taking voice lessons. I did tell you a little bit about that, but that the song from Waitress is like, that was Birdie's like final song that Aww, they chose. I love that. So I know. Much. It was really cute. And I totally forgot about it until... I, we were in the car and it came on and I was like, oh my God, oh my God, that's right. There's something so special to me about seeing a young person sing that song. Like it takes on this totally other meaning because I think that like the turmoil of being a young person is very real and they can relate somehow to the lyrics in a way that is like so surprising to me because it feels so like you know, you're of a certain age and of a certain place of reflection in your life. And like who I am is not who I thought I would become. And, but kids like totally relate to that song. She used to be mine is what I'm talking about. And it's a really, it's really beautiful. It's really powerful. I agree with you. You have a lot of people. I like how you post on Instagram when people tag you doing their own versions of your music. I love that. I don't love I it sh- all. I'm not gonna I lie. Sh- I'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> tell. I'm gonna tell you right now. I don't love it all. No, I, but I love some of it, and that's the <laughs> stuff that I re- repost. <laughs> this is a hot scoop. This is a hot scoop. I feel like. Yeah. 
Now, when you don't love it, when you don't love it, do you, what, what happens? Does it just a hot face? Let me tell you what I am a stickler about is, um, I have a really, I'm a real sucker for authenticity. And I think it's really, that's what I am the most interested in. I'm the most interested in seeing someone like be sort of courageous and, heart forward. And I think sometimes people just really love to like see themselves sang and that's the stuff I'm a little bit less interested in. And so I don't, I don't mean like I hate it when I see it. I just mean like, I'm not moved by that. I'm moved by someone who shares something that feels really like, um, intimate in a way. Yeah. You guys did such a cute thing on Waitress on Broadway, which I didn't see you in Waitress, which is annoying to me, but now because we're <laughs> friends, but um, was it every show after the show, kid, like people would come up and like sing the song? When did that start? That was a Waitress original, Waitress karaoke. Yeah, Waitress <laughs> karaoke. Yeah, Who did but, that? Like, I, it's the best it's, thing I've ever seen. Casey, do you know, did you ever see it? No, I never got to see Waitress because because I was working at Watch What Happens Live. So I never got to see anything for like 10 years. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. That's a bummer. (laughs) Direct conflict. Yeah. Direct conflict Um, with anything. No, we did that. That was like a Waitress original idea where we were like, people love the show. How can we how can we help them feel closer to it? And so we would bring people up for their Broadway debut and the band would stay late once a month and they would sing with the waitress band songs from waitress on the waitress stage. It was the most fun. It It was was so so, sweet. So fun. I got, I was there on a night that they did waitress karaoke and it was like mind blowing to me. Like I loved musical. Did you love musical theater when you were a kid growing up? I really did. That's really incredible. Central coast of California. All right. Is that right? Sort of North Coast, where I Northern. grew up was North. Yeah. Northern. You know. See, guys, I don't do my Oregon. research. Yeah. I love that about you, actually. That I don't research anything. <laughs> I No, I appreciate that it's it's the authenticity of it. It's like we're just actually having a conversation. You don't have to. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Just in my experience as being a person who's been interviewed for so long, I always get like a little bit like, huh, okay, when we go over the things yeah. that now busy. You, your parents started when you're five years old because, and it's like, I can't get, this yeah. is not what I want to talk about. Um, so you, you loved musical theater when you were loved a kid. It. Yeah. So my oldest sister, I'm the youngest of three growing up. And now I have a, a newer half sister who's younger than I am, but I was the baby growing up. And um, my oldest sister was really into musical theater. And so she was sort of like my performance idol. And my mom is an actress as well. And so they were really involved in community theater. And I just loved going to the theater to watch them perform. Did they all sing? Do you all sing? They all sing. Um, Sarah, your voice is exceptional. You know that. Well, I appreciate that very much. (laughs) Singing is not something that I have to think. I have to think really hard about playing the piano. Singing has always been something that has come more naturally to me. So I feel really lucky that that's, you know, how it manifests. But um, I love it. I love singing. I lo- I always have. I just wouldn't shut up as a kid. I love it. <laughs> and wait, but so did your sisters sing and your mom? Did you guys think about being the Judds? What's happening? <laughs> we didn't think about being the Judds, but my sister, my sisters and I, my middle sister doesn't 
identify as a singer, although she has a good voice. My older, my oldest sister was like a singer, singer for a while. And my favorite things were like when we would do three part harmony, we'd sing like amazing grace and we'd sing, you know, sing along with a lot of Christmas albums and stuff like that. But I was so much younger. I was six years and nine years younger than them. So I was like, the likelihood of us really taking this on the road is pretty low. I know. You were like, we could be the Hyam sisters. Yeah. They don't exist. They, they don't, don't exist, exist yet. yet. The yeah. gum sisters. So, so that was probably well. before your time. The gum sisters. I don't, yeah, I don't even know what that is. That's but. the Judy, Gar- Judy Garland's family. Oh. That's why I said the Judds. Yeah. I mean, I um, love that. And then, and then like you, you reference us right in the beginning, but like, you know, I think people think of, when they think of you, they do think of like just this astronomical success and like love song is like, if you don't like love song is, I mean, it's a classic. It's like, it it was when it came out, like an instant classic. It's one of those songs that like, oh, I've heard this song before. I know this song, right? but you haven't. It's never, you've never heard it before, (laughs) but you just think you have because it's that fucking good. Uh. And it's so um, immediately like a classic hit. You know what I mean? Um, But when you talk about the last tour that you took right before the shutdown, how playing these these like iconic huge places was such a career, like all-time high goal for you, especially the Hollywood Bowl, because I mean, you spent a long time yeah. at like hotel cafe and stuff. Right. Yeah. It's it's wild to sort of take a step back and look at the I mean, I think every person every person in their life can relate to that where you really like take stock of where you are and where you started. And it's always just like a bunch of shit you could never have imagined. And it doesn't have to look like the way it looks for me, but it's like, you know, we all, we all find ourselves inside a life that we probably didn't really imagine, but especially in, yeah. And I mean, I played hundreds of shows all over LA and little coffee shops and dive bars and played a strip club at one point. (laughs) Can I ask you a question? Because I did not not a little research, but I was like thinking about your career. I was meditating on your career before we got on this phone call. Um, and I was thinking about like, gosh, you have like this, this music career and then you have like your theater career and then you've been a you've been on television as an actor and also a producer. You produced a great show that I watched at the beginning of the pandemic that was kind of like, is it like autobiographical kind of? Ish. Autobiographical adjacent. Yeah, Yeah. it was a really, really (laughs) darling show. My husband and I really enjoyed it. I, um, we loved it. You should go back and check it out. Where is it streaming? It's on Apple TV called Little Voice. Little Little Voice. Voice. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really lovely show. So has anyone ever tried to tell you like to stick in one lane in your career? Has anyone given you that bad advice and been like, you're doing too much? You know what? I got that bad advice in the very beginning and I found it really confusing, but also in this weird way, kind of helpful. Like it had to do more with my songwriting where I was writing all kinds of songs because I listened to all kinds of stuff. And then there was this sort of subtle pressure to kind of crystallize, like, what, what are you trying to say at this moment as an artist? Like we can't have a reggae song and a country song and a thing, you know, like we get, like, we can't make all of that work on this first album. 
And I was really sort of offended by it at first. And then I actually do think it was helpful in a way. But I think, you know, I don't think every artist or every person is going to, is feels the need to like diversify what they're doing. But I, I feel like my first thing, my first left turn was working on Waitress, which was felt like a very organic return to somewhere I had already been. I was in musical theater. I love, it was my first love. So going back to that place actually was like so inspiring. I felt like I'd been at the wrong party my whole life. I was like, oh my God, I go to these theater parties and I'm like, this is my, these are my people. Like I've been Uh. in the music industry and I've always felt like I don't belong here. I don't, I don't feel comfortable at the, at the parties, at the award show. I mean, there's, it's so competitive. Yeah. And theater does not really occupy that same space. So that felt like now I'm just talking. Well, I, we're like, no, no, I, I know. I know. I think it's know interesting. That I totally makes sense. It's also, uh, it's, I mean, yeah, we're theater kids is at the core of it. Right. right. Like, and yeah. I guess I was, I was curious about the thing. How many years did you sort of do like the clubs and trying to get like the record deal or, cause obviously that was like your original goal sort of was just right. Yeah, I think I probably played, I probably played small shows in LA for about uh, maybe like four or five, four years, probably. Four years is a long time. It is a long time. And I think, um, and I had gone on tour with, I went to college with a couple of the guys from Maroon 5. So they were buddies and I knew them when they were Cara's Flowers and then when they're playing (laughs) apartment parties and it's like, yeah, these are my friends. Then they really like hit and I went on a tour with them and I came back, like I was bracing myself for the fucking skyrocket to stardom that I was going to have to like, I've done that a few times in my life where I'm like, Get oh, ready, I love Sarah. that. this is going to be a big deal. And nobody gave two shits about me. <laughs> <laughs> and then I actually ended up signing with their manager um, at the time, Jordan Feldstein and and then I, again, braced for like, okay, here we go. And it was years before my record came out and years before I was like actually doing anything. I got schooled over and over again in this feeling of like, you know, here it comes. This is the big break. Like, it's just and like then a like, slow burn. It's a slow burn. But but I do think, I think there's value to the slow burn, don't you? Thousand percent. In fact, I think there's way more, more value. value to it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I'm also a slow burner in case you didn't know. <laughs> it's a long, slow burn. It's a long, you, slow you burn. Learn. That's what that Casey Musgrave song is about, right? Yes. I don't know. <laughs> I, I think know it's about that. weed probably. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually, yeah. I think it is. Um, did you ever consider like not performing and just being a songwriter for others? Uh, I had, no, no. I was very... I was just talking about this with someone about, I think, especially in the beginning of my career, I was very precious about everything. And so like the songs in particular felt like utterly intimate and like, I couldn't possibly give them away. They were just Mm -hmm. too personal. And, um, and now that was another beautiful gift that I got from working on waitress was like, it actually didn't feel like, um, diminishing of anything it actually only like made the connection to the material more 
present to me. I thought I would lose something if I gave the songs away to someone else to sing. And then I was like, actually feel much closer to them, hearing them interpreted differently. So do you like, do you think that that helped you like the authentic covers of your music too? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, watching someone that's the, that's the, the best possible scenario that you can hope for as a songwriter is that like a song takes on some kind of life in the world that kind of has nothing to do with you, that it's its own little story. And I think I've had that a couple of times where a song like Brave or a song like She Used to Be Mine really kind of holds this resonant place for people in a way that really has nothing to do with me. Can I say something annoying? Yes. Um, It'll maybe only be annoying to busy, maybe annoying to you. But <laughs> Prince would say that oh. his songs were his children mm-hmm. and that the fans of his songs were his children's friends and they would like grow up together. So that's what, when you were just saying that, that's what it made me feel like. Like your your songs were your children and then they would like grow up and then you had to like let them go to other people and like live their own oh, lives. I, love that. I actually love that. Tori Amos kind of talks Same. about her songs in a similar yeah. way. <laughs> Guys, I'm going to be annoying now and talk about Tori Amos. Um, no, but Tor- Tor- Tori's, Tori's are, there are her girls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then she feels like, yeah, like the that she has to let them go and they have to live their own lives and be new things to new people. And, you yeah. know, it's like, I guess that's that's sort of, I guess that's what we have to do in a creative pursuit, all of us in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I want to ask you about Girls Forever. What? How did you, when did you, what? What? Sarah Morales, what? Sarah Morales, by the way, when Tina Fey called me and said, I have this show and Sarah Bareilles is going to do it and Renee Elise Goldsberry, the two of them are already signed on. Do you want to do it? I like in my head, I was like, well, sure. She was, I guess I thought like, surely you've acted on television before because you'd done waitress. And, um, I saw you at the Hollywood bowl in the little mermaid. Mm-hmm. That's basically acting on television. <laughs> no, but I just like, I don't know. In my head, I was like, there's no way that this is that you've not acted on a show. I just didn't know what it was. Okay. Well, so Tina, comes to you and says, we're working, we're putting together this show and, you know, it's about a girl group from the 90s, a pop group that then, uh, you know, tries to sort of have a comeback in their 40s and all that that entails. And we think you would be great as this part. And were you just like, what was your first thought? I was like, what? I I would talk to her and Meredith. I talked to Tina and Meredith. Scardino, our showrunner creator, and and was like, I don't, I think you guys should think about this. Like, I've never, like, I, I'm like, I, I was like, I've oh never. Oh my God, like they I've, hadn't thought about it. I was like, I've never done this before. Like, are you sure? And, and Tina, you know, was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, she, hi, I'm Tina Fey. I, I don't know. know if we, you know? Totally. But I just was like, I was a little gobsmacked by the the prospect anyway. And, you know, like with most, with most of the best things that have shown up in my life, when they come with this little, you know, 
capsule of fear when it's like, I'm scared to say yes, but you just, you can see the yes inside of it is like, that's what it felt like. I was like, this feels absolutely terrifying. And I immediately was thinking about my, it was just all the old stuff as a woman and as a woman in, in my middle age or my early middle age, I'm 41. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. But like, I'm, we're I'm the same age. Let's yeah. be real. But you like, never know where the middle is. That's what I would like to point yeah. out. You yeah. know what I mean? Where the middle is. Amen. Too Amen soon to, to tell. But as someone who's like, you know, aging in the industry and then going like, okay, wow, I have a, a really complicated feeling about the way I look anyway. And being on TV, it almost felt like a reason to say no. And then I was like, well, fuck that garbage. Like, I'm not going to let this stuff, you know, my feelings about my neck or my fucking saggy eyes or my teeth or whatever, like all all of these things that like, I think about myself, I'm like, I'm not going to let that keep me from what ultimately turned into one of the greatest joys of my entire career. I'm so happy. I said, yes. I'm so happy. Well guys, I'm going to say something now that Sarah has not heard me say, Uh oh, which is this. I have seen the first, we've seen the first two episodes. Um, you're unbelievably brilliant as an actor. Like, you're fucking amazing. Oh, amazing. Baby. No, really, like, truly. I knew, I was in the scenes with you. I knew how great you were. And, but it is tr- like, staggering how it feels like this is also your, you know, it's like my 25th television show. (laughs) Like it it feels like you also have just been on camera in TV turning jokes since you were 18 years old. You're so great on the show, Sarah. And like it, it, like it's, I'm not, I, I just, you're, you really, I was impressed when we were doing scenes together, but you really never know until you see a thing cut together, like what it's going to be. I mean, we all know I was questioning the choices I was making. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I, that means so much to me coming from you. That means so, so, so much to me. I can't tell you how much I would come home. I mean, watching all three of you in these scenes and Ashley and Erica, like there was so much talent in those rooms And I knew I was the new kid on the block and I was like, I would just watch you guys and your like freedom and the, the, the inventiveness and the spontaneity. And like, I just would, I would come home and talk about you guys to Joe and you in particular, I'm like, busy is so fucking funny and so consistent and always making something better. And it's already wonderful. What we're working with is already wonderful, but it's like just so much nuance in ways that I was like, man, that's, it's something to aspire to. So it means, it means a lot to me for you. Well, I think that the fear, whatever the fear was like, did not hold you back in any way that it's not, it's like not, it doesn't show up on screen at all. And like, you know, it just, you feel very free and, and you feel just like fully realized as this character Dawn from the beginning. And it's really sweet. I, I'm 
like a fan. I I rarely watch things that I'm in and think that they're like, and I know because people are like, what? You're in blah, blah, blah. I don't know. Most of the time I'm like, yeah, I get it. It's good. It's good. I like fucking love this show. I, <laughs> I, love it. I keep saying to people, I'm like, I know I'm biased because I just love everyone so much, but I, I do think it's funny and it has so much heart and it's so exciting to see women in this age being just funny and themselves and outrageous. And I just, I just loved making it and I loved watching it. I definitely watched both of those episodes multiple times, like by myself <laughs> in my bedroom. Like, were you, ner- were you like, how, how did you feel about yourself? Were you like excited with the way your acting is? I mean, I'm just curious because this is like, it is so wild that like, yeah. this is your first thing and it's so, you have so much to do. And a, a lot was asked of all of us in this season. And can I just say this? I mean, I know I am 41 now. This was hands down the hardest show I have ever done in my life. Like, it was exhausting. Yeah. We were dealing with the COVID protocols. Like, nothing was normal. Yeah. We had to rehearse with our masks on. Sometimes the masks made me not be able to remember lines. Yeah. <laughs> you couldn't, like, you, you like, couldn't yeah. see people's fucking faces when you're trying to act with them. And then yeah. you have, like, you have to take the mask off and like go because you got to get it. Like, yeah. it was a hard show as your, you know, real entrance as an actor into TV. Yeah. What were your sort of like expectations when you watched yourself? Did you, or did you have any? Were you just like, I think I was like, you know, the, the little, um, I don't think that I always looked. I felt like I heard Renee say this at one point and I thought it was like really astute. It's like, sometimes, you know, when you believe yourself or not. And I think I came in and out of that a little bit because, but I also can't watch it without knowing the way I was feeling or if I was self-conscious about this or that, or like, I mean, I knew that every time you stepped on set, I knew that it was important for me to be able to like rise to meet everybody else around me. So there really wasn't time to like get to be self-indulgent about your insecurity. No one could you know be. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Right. But I also found it really comforting. You know, our wardrobe was insane. Like it was <laughs> wonderful, but also totally insane. And it, it was crazy to relive so much of that stuff, like body image issues and stuff mm. that I went through when I was that age going in the nineties, watching everybody wearing fucking tube tops and shit like that. Never having been a person who felt comfortable wearing any of that. And then having to do it on a TV show was just like, can I have a drink, please? (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, same. But did you feel in the 90s, like, if only I could just pull a Christina Aguilera and wear the tube top and the low rise jeans, everything would be different for me. Or did you have a lot of that coming in at you, either from management or from people advising you? Like, I remember one person told me to get all of the moles removed from my neck so that my and my face so that I could be a blank canvas. And actually, somebody said that to me not that long ago, too. People still tell me to get a nose job. Really? Yeah. I'm just like, can we just, if I haven't done it by now, I'm probably not going to do it. And I'm so glad I didn't. I was so self-conscious about the size of my nose and just like what it looks like on my face and my profile. And then, 
And then there was this weird kind of like, you know, when people compliment you on your nose in a way, like, wow, your nose is amazing. You're like, can you just fucking shut up about my nose? Like, yeah. Like you just want people to sort of just like leave it alone because it also just draws attention to itself. But I'm so glad that I learned at one point in college, I actually got a nose ring, which what, what is the deal with your nose ring? Did you just get a nose ring? <laughs> no, and I then, had it no, in college too. Oh, I just saw I a got video it. of you. You had she it. just reopened it. So sometimes guys to save, cause this was like, it was really exhausting shoot. Um, but to save people, Sarah and Renee from having to go through the works of like getting put back into the nineties, the time machine essentially that we had to go through in hair and makeup. If you weren't really like, if you didn't have a line, they would just do me and then they would have Ashley and Erica. And then they would have two stand-ins for you. Like you guys on like the, the periphery. Yeah. So it would just be like body doubles with their backs to the camera, kind of. But by the way, when you watch it, you can't tell. I know. They um, did a great job. Yeah. Did a great job. I do think the episode where I had strep throat, that performance is going to look weird. <laughs> I can't wait. So Busy got so sick and we had a full on, like full choreographed performance. That was like, and I don't, I'm so curious how they're going to handle it because it was a, a very nice stand-in that she, she nothing she was like me. Lovely, but really like could it? Yeah, no, not not, not the same body type, no. not the same height, not the same. No. I mean, it just like I think she was like a dancer. Yeah, she was an actual dancer. Yeah. It's ludicrous, but I I performed my dance thing in front of on, in front of a green screen. Did you know that? <laughs> no. that they made me do that. <laughs> so maybe they're trying to like green screen me in. Oh, that's, I bet they are. They can do, you know, they're amazing. I'm such a bad dancer though. Maybe we should have, maybe they should just keep You are not, no. Sarah, don't, this is fine. I mean, it's fine. I'm okay with it. I'm great I would at tell you things. if I thought you were. <laughs> I'm not good. Sarah, I'm not good. Um, Okay, wait. So we do talk about pivots. It's not, I mean, you've had so many pivots. This was a pivot for you. Yeah. To take pivot. this on. Yeah. What's yeah. next? I mean, what's your next pivot? My next pivot, well, my next pivot is animation. Oh. Yeah. I'm working on a couple of animated things at the moment. And you're drawing them yourself. I'm drawing them. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> writing music for anything. I'm just I'm starting an animation company and I'm excited about it. Can you imagine? This is like my first love. I know I said I it was musical love. theater earlier, drawing. but really drawing. Um, so you're getting into animation. I'm writing songs for two animated features. And oh. I am just really over the moon about it. That's They're very, very, very long projects. Like it's similar to theater in the way that like it takes a really, really long time to develop. But that's been like a dream of mine. I mean, all those Disney films were like in that really sweet period, you know, when it was like Alan Menken and Little Mermaid and The Lion King. Mm-hmm. And um, those were, you know, some really formative years for me. And I think I think getting to write music for an animated movie would be so special. So that's what's happening. That's really that is very exciting. You know, I actually met Alan Menken 
He's lovely. in London when I brought Birdie there right before oh. the shutdown. He was in my hotel and he was having lunch with Adam Shankman, who I've been friends with forever. I've known Shankman forever. And he introduced me to Alan Menken. He was lovely. I said hello and then That's with so Birdie. Sweet. And then Birdie was like, I want to go to the room. And I was like, okay. And so we went to the room and I was in the elevator. I was like, Birdie, do you know who that was? That's Alan Menken. He wrote The Little Mermaid. And I was like so excited. It was yeah. like seeing the biggest celebrity. The Little Mermaid was my favorite favorite, favorite. Me too. Me too. Disney wow. movie. Well, me we're too. the same age, so it makes yeah. sense. I feel yeah. like we must have been that like perfect age. And I just feel like the message really has stood the test of time. Just give up everything give up your for a man. To be with a man. Yeah. You know, a man that you've seen for two and a half seconds. Give up your ability to communicate to be next to a prince. Listen, yeah. write that down. Well, that's basically what happened to Meghan Markle, right. guys. Let's be also, real. I want to do a rewrite True. of The Little Mermaid from Ursula's perspective. I feel like she's <gasps> just a businesswoman. Try- yeah. Like, by the way, she, she made a deal. Yeah, yeah, she made a deal. She's just trying to like do business in the kingdom and she's being like shut down by the monarchy. Hello, write that movie. <laughs> yeah, I agree. This lady has a point. Yeah. She's, you know, just trying to do it. Sarah, Sarah, what's your favorite, like, what's your favorite kind of movie to watch now? What kind of stuff do you love? Oh, boy. I don't well, know. That's a hard to question. Be, to be honest, I I think with the pandemic, I've gotten into a little bit more, like, escapist stuff. Like, I'm a little less inclined to go into the really deep psychological trauma <laughs> yeah I'm like maybe we'll just watch another Marvel movie you, you don't you don't really yeah. want a psychological trauma right now that's weird I know. I'm just like the world is so it's really hard to hold right now and yeah uh, and so yeah I think I'm kind of like I'm watching Downton Abbey that's yeah. what I'm watching at night which is just like a ridiculous that's very comforting it's yeah it's comforting so, it's weird and it's you know, I don't watch anything. Did you know that? Not at all. That's how you have time to like consume so much of the world. Like, I feel like you always know so much about what's going on in the world. And that's probably why, because I'm sitting over here drinking tea, trying not to eat bread. And <laughs> you're just like taking in the world. Like, like I, a boss lady. I mean, I'm, I don't know. Maybe it's, yeah, I don't know. I consume a lot of media, but I don't consume a lot of television and movies at this point in my life. Although I did watch the Taylor Swift documentary. We talked about it on the show last, a few weeks ago. It was ago. amazing. I loved it. Yeah, so did I. Did you watch the Billie Eilish documentary? Yes, I loved Fucking it. Did you love it? I loved it. Yeah. I also well, think it's like very, both of those are are great for um, young people to watch and, and people interested in music. And it's just like really cool actual coming of age stories where I agree did you get did you have any like sort of like PTSD watching either one of those documentaries yeah I mean in certain ways there's there's definitely scenarios that feel super familiar like I'm remembering that that powerful scene from Taylor's documentary where she's talking about making that 
post for the first time polit- about her political views, which I yes. thought was one of the things that she did in the last couple of years where I was like, I have no, no reason to say I'm proud of her, but I felt like I was really celebrating that choice for her. Cause I know it's a really hard choice. And, um, I felt so like happy to see her stick to her guns. And she's sitting there with all these men, frankly, telling her to like stay in her lane. She's like, I have a fucking opinion and it's my responsibility on some level to share it. And it was powerful to me. And then with Billy, like, I think, you know, it's that constant push pull to be like, what is, what is authentic to me, but you can't actually experience yourself without the reflection of your fans. And so she gets that, like, especially with her visibility on social media, that's hard. I didn't have that, you know, as my first years as an artist, it was, we didn't, I mean, Twitter was brand new and that was it. We had like MySpace. Do you remember MySpace? Of course I remember MySpace. Is MySpace still is how, there? Could you like log on to MySpace now I don't and find like so. your old stuff? Maybe. I, I don't even it? know. MySpace is how Ed Drosty and I became friends, Sarah. Really? On, via MySpace. Wild yeah. times. Fucking wild. I know. Wild. I told Sarah this, but Ed Drosty, I hope I'm not putting him on blast. Maybe I am. That's fine. He can come on the show and and say whatever he wants to say. But every songwriter has their own process. But he said that like a love song just was like basically like the inspiration for their song two weeks because they just like, Ed was like, why can't I just want to write that song? I want that song. I want, I want to be the one to write that song. And so then they wrote, two weeks, which was like his, like in his head answer to love song. And I told Sarah this and she said, I love two weeks. I flipped out because (laughs) I I wish I could have video of the number of times that song was on like just incessant repeat because I thought it was so much cooler than anything I would ever produce. Like, I'm just like, I can't possibly touch like the, the pristine beauty of something like this. I'm like, I'm writing fucking things like a love song over here and I can't. Oh, is that, I love yeah. that. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, really. I love that you're able to know that because of Busy Nose Ed. And I know. I love that. Guys, MySpace still exists. Do you just oh. check? Is there anything I just, going on there? Yeah. Here, Fiona Apple covers Sharon Van Etten's Love More. Oh, oh my wow. God. Log the- back into your accounts, guys. I guess this is just, it's just music. Wow. Listen to Mick Jagger and Dave Grohl's surprise new single, Easy Sleazy. Oh, I, I heard about that. I didn't have to get on MySpace to know about Easy Sleazy. I don't even know if I would ever remember my password. No, there's no way you could. I mean, what email what did you I even did? use? What if I did? I wouldn't. I don't know. I'm sure a Yahoo account. <laughs> <laughs> the best in music and culture all in one place. Join the millions of musicians and artists on MySpace. It is Aww. a real thing that is coming back, Aww. it feels like. Where's Tom? I, I think Tom retired, didn't he? I, I don't know. <laughs> I think he did. Oh, my God. But but Casey, here's what we're talking about. The pedicab interviews. <laughs> Chris Cole. So, Sarah... When after our talk show went away, um, you know, Casey was my 
showrunner and my executive producer. Mm -hmm. We like went in and talked to a bunch of people about like either continuing busy tonight in some way, shape or form, whatever. And so frequently like a man would be like, but what's the thing? Like, you know, Jerry Seinfeld has like comedians in cars getting coffee. Like, what's your thing? And Casey's like, she'll stand in a fucking bucket. What do you want her (laughs) thing to be? Like, why does it have to be a thing? Why can't she just sit and talk to some people? Right. Like how... Like we that's did a, it. That's the location. Like what's that's just, your, they kept saying, "What's your car?" <laughs> what's and I your, was like, "I guess this. I guess the couch would be my car." Yeah. If that busy people, in a busy in a bucket with words. <laughs> yeah, you could have done that. Busy in a bucket. I like. I like the. I still. I'm still a fan of busy in a bucket. <laughs> Maybe we sell it to MySpace, Case. Maybe yep. that's it. Busy in buckets. I had such a good idea for a podcast that I wanted to do with Sarah. Did I tell What's, you what it was? No, what is good it? Idea. Maybe we should go to MySpace. Maybe yeah, we should take don't this one to say, MySpace. Don't say what it is. Don't ruin the idea here. Oh. I mean, don't, don't. someone will steal it. I mean, everybody steals everything that I come up with, and then I never get credit. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> this, you just, this is a conversation for your therapist. Yeah, no shit. I talk about it with my therapist. I'm fine with not getting credit for everything that I've started in my life. Although Mark is like, you do get credit. You get credit a lot. You get a lot of credit. Sometimes. Sometimes it's like, I I, I feel you. I feel I'm sure you felt this way, Sarah, too. Sometimes you have a great idea. Maybe you don't move fast enough on it. Or, you know, maybe it's like something in the zeitgeist. There's a reason the word zeitgeist exists. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Great minds think alike. You know, right. you know how it is. But yes. also sometimes someone just takes your idea. Yeah. And they like talked over you. And, you know, sometimes you say something in a meeting and then five minutes later, a louder guy says it. And everyone's like, that's a genius idea. Right. And you're like, Todd, I just said that. Yeah. Todd? I also think Todd is such a fucking <laughs> I mean, totally. She but, gets it. No, I think that. I think also if you, I think you have the right like attitude though, is that like you kind of can't get caught in the bottleneck of like needing credit for shit. Like it just, you got to keep it moving and people need to feel like they get credit. And yeah. so sometimes you're like, wow, you remember earlier when you had this really great idea, whether it was yours or not. And you're like, and you're just like, let's just fight. You can have the idea. I don't care about you needing credit for the idea. Let's just get the thing done or whatever. Right. I feel like that's right. I do think, like, I joke about it because it is a little bit of, like, a salt. Yeah. Like a fleck of Himalayan sea salt. Yes. In my scratch. Yeah. But the truth is, certain things I'm, like, a real credit bitch about, but not necessarily really, like, I really don't hold on to it that much. And also, yeah, like, I have fully embraced the, in in this world of entertainment, that what's for me is just only for me and what's for everyone, what's for someone else is was always going to be for them. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. So I, I don't get that thing, like bogged down in that idea. Did you ever have those moments though with other singer-songwriters as they were coming up? I mean, you mentioned Nora Jones, but like, you know, did you ever feel that like you were pitted against other women who played piano and sang? Yes. Yeah. Well, I felt like it was twofold. On the one hand, there was like this inherent 
like competitive, like I was talking about like the competition of music, which I think is so fucked to make, to make an artist's space feel like there's a, there's a finite amount of whatever attention, credit awards, like all of it feels like so stupid to me, but, but there was also this real, this need early on, especially where people needed to know, well, who are you like? Who are you like? Like yeah, there was, right. and I know young artists especially get so frustrated with that because everyone wants to feel like we're completely unique and individual. <laughs> but at the same time, when I stopped fighting it, and I was like, mm, I like Fiona Apple meets Nora Jones, even though that doesn't even remotely feel like who I am, it would just make people fucking relax and like listen to the record or whatever. Because then <laughs> you're like, okay, I don't care. Like, but I did feel like there was a lot. You know, I came up next to Katy Perry's record and, and my record came out the same week. And she like had this skyrocket experience. And she then all of a sudden she was winning all the awards and she was and I knew Katie. Like we we went we came up in Hotel Cafe together and like we did this thing in Sundance where we had the we didn't know each other, but we were in the same hotel room and we sat on the floor and she told me about making this new record and how she was trying not to be so precious about everything. Cause she'd had a really hard experience with her first album and it was really edifying. And I like, I mean, like we were, I wouldn't say we were close friends, but we're totally friendly. And yeah. then we had an experience in and around my song brave where there was all this heat saying that, you know, they had stolen this idea when she had roar that came out, that was too close to brave. And I could feel that like there was this pressure to be mad at each other. I'm like, this is like my friend. <laughs> right. What do you want from me? And it was only like the controversy around that was only ever good for the visibility of Brave. And I just, I don't know. I'm not that competitive of a person. My boyfriend, Joe, would would argue with that. And he'll he would laugh. He would laugh hysterically. Like, You're ridiculous. But I'm really not competitive when it comes to this kind of space. I just don't. I don't believe that there's like a hierarchy to art. I just think that's only a harmful thing for yeah. artists. I know, but they really do do it to women, don't they? Uh, they sure They do. sure try. They really try. The one thing I will say, Busy, about the good thing about having a flake of Himalayan salt about it is that you're always the kind of person who will make sure that someone gets credit, which oh, is like... that's true. That's a dream come true to like finally have someone that's like, by the way, that was so-and-so's idea. Mm -hmm. That's very nice after a really long time of no one caring <laughs> to be like, oh, da, 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 that was someone's idea. That's nice. Well, I had that was my big I had that big thing. That was my whole thing. Right. Like I had this really formative e experience in entertainment uh, where my like ex-boyfriend and his brother like took the credit away from me on that movie that I had come up with the idea for. And then, and then it was just like, well, that's, there's nothing worse than that. feel. Like that is the worst feeling you can have when somebody sure. like gaslights you and tells you that you didn't really have that much to do with it. And Oh, I mean, it happens to women so frequently in mm. creative pursuits. I mean, I don't for need to tell you bitches this <laughs> <laughs> for sure. So I think it is something that's like important, obviously, to me to make sure that other people are receiving the credit they deserve because I just know how terrible and how it like really ruined m my confidence and 
and my even and my belief in myself for years and years and years. And I would just never, ever want to inflict any of that on anyone else by accident or yeah. or purposefully just taking credit for something, you know? Yeah. yeah. There's like a hierarchy, I guess. If it's like a if it's like a tweet and someone stole the tweet, maybe don't make a huge deal out of it. If it's an entire movie where someone's getting rich and they stole your movie, maybe make a big deal out of it. But also if it's just like a medium idea and someone stole it and it's not that big a deal, maybe let it go, but also be like, hey, I'm on the right track. Mm, that's great advice too. Mm-hmm. I do think that people people get like real bogged down in this day and age with things that are like sort of in the zeitgeist, but because of the internet, like lots of people have similar ideas and like specific to that like joke stealing thing or even like writing a song with like similar I mean, I was just listening to Olivia Rodrigo. You know, obviously I'm listening to Olivia Rodrigo nonstop in this house right now. But Driver's License has like a bridge that sounds just like my friend James Vincent McMorrow's like, we don't eat thing in his song. And it's like, yeah, but music is like, there's lots of stuff that like the influence comes in and it sounds similar to something else. It doesn't mean that it's been stolen necessarily. Yeah. Right? I totally agree. I I think that, well, my personal philosophy on this is that, like, as a songwriter, there really isn't a lot of merit, I think, to trying to claim ownership over it at all. Like, it's really not, this might sound a little new agey, but, like, I really think about myself as, like, I just am, like, the channel. You keep the, you keep, you're a vessel, something comes through, it was never mine. It was never mine to claim or to hold. I mean, I do think sometimes you get into a situation, like I think Tom Petty handled this really well when there was the the back and forth with Ed Sheeran, where it's like, yeah, you do your best to um, make sure you catch it when like you accidentally like quoted something a little too close. You yeah. do your best to catch it before it leaves the room. We don't always catch it, but it's like, it's not a big deal. It doesn't mean the artist is like a, an evil person or, but I think, you know, as fans of other artists and of music, of course you're ingesting ideas and then they go, they run through the machine of your mechanism. And then, I mean, we're just, it's an imperfect science, but I don't think it always is like, you know, Machiavellian. It's pretty wise. I think that's pretty wise. I do too. Well, Sarah's the best. She's very wise. Sarah, do you have any pivot stories you want to tell? Or do you, I feel like we covered it, but if you have anything specific you want to say. If anything. I mean, the, the premise being like, what was a pivot that like you didn't see coming kind of thing? Is yeah. I mean, maybe it was Girls 5 Eva. Let's be real. I mean, the biggest pivot to me was Waitress. It's like everything that has come, I, I did not know when I said yes to that pro- project that it would absolutely reorient my life completely in every way, shape and form. I live in New York city, the people I know, my boyfriend, the TV show, the little boys meeting JJ Abrams, working with T-Bone Burnett. Um, my product, my producing partner, Jesse Nelson came out of that. Like everything about my life is different. Girls by Veva, Tina Fey, all of it came from waitress. And I just didn't even know. I, I couldn't have possibly known. 
And how did that, but how did that come about for you? Well, I was taking this little year long in my mind, what, what I was thinking of as like a rumspringa to New York. And I was like, <laughs> I'm going to go like fuck around in New York city. I was recently out of a long-term relationship. I left my manager, my, my band that I had been playing with for like 10 years. So I was like, really like felt very unalive. And I, it was a real like, pivot. It was a it change. Was a real pivot. And I thought it would be a year. And that was nine years ago. And I came to New York and I thought I would audition for something. And I did. I auditioned for Into the Woods when they did it in Central Park here. Um, and I, uh, boy, did I shit the bed on that audition. Oh. But I just. For Cinderella or for the baker's wife? Cinderella. Cinderella. Yeah, I could see that. That is who you are. I'm the baker's wife. Let's do it. <laughs> Paul is the I'm witch. Sorry. No, wait, didn't we cast this on set? Renee is the witch who's it has to be Renee because she's got that crazy belt. Yes. Um, Yeah, I came and I thought so I auditioned. It was a terrible audition. But then my agent was like, well, there's this project that's kind of like, you know, getting kicked around. And I met with the director, Diane Paulus. And again, I was a similar thing with Tina Fey where I was like, I don't I've never done this. I don't know what you're doing. Like saying, should we do this? I said, I'll try. And we can just like agree that if it doesn't work out, we'll have a handshake and move on with our lives. But here I am like seven years later, six years later. And it's like, who was writing the book? Who was writing the, um, the script for the show? So that at the point that I signed on, that was un, undecided. And there, oh, wow. a, there was like several writers that came through um, but we were working from the screenplay written by Adrian Shelley. Adrian Shelley, has yeah. passed away. And so I think, you know. One she, of like the more tragic oh, losses to me. I loved, Ad- I never knew her. I loved her. I was such a huge fan. Yeah. Um, as an actor and a writer and director, she just was such an incredibly talented yeah. person. And so tragic. She was, guys, she was murdered. Mm-hmm. Um and it just, ugh, what a sad yeah, story. A but I like such a loss, but also like that's one of the things that I love so much about the musical waitress is that I feel like she continues to live on. And Well, I was going to say it's like this and, story that you were, I think in part to talk about credit, this story that was kind of like a small story that you took it so much further down the line that it than it would have gone had it just been what it started out as. So I, I don't know. I mean, huge credit due there for that. Well, we were so, we were in such good hands and had like uh, very close contact with Michael Royf, her producing partner who was like, worked hand in hand with Adrian to like single-handedly kind of get this up and running. And, um, and her family was very involved. And I did a lot of talking to Adrian while I was writing. I was just like, I did a lot of like inviting her into however she wanted to show up. I was like, you are like, please come play. And, and so I just, I felt like there were times where like things came through that again, it was like never really, it wasn't really mine. And she used to be mine. It was the first song that I wrote for the show. And I, I had watched the movie once. So it was like, there was something really like kind of a little bit mystical, I think about the writing of that show. And I, I give a lot of 
credit, not only to the source material that was, you know, already on the ground, but I think that Adrian really moved through that show in a beautiful way. And like you, it sounds like. That's so fucking cool. I hope so. That's what it felt like to me. I mean, I won't know until I leave this earth and we have a martini upstairs. <laughs> oh shit! Now I want to. Now I should. Now I want a martini, Sarah. <laughs> Let's have martini. It sounds like it was all meant to be. It, Sarah. It's been such a pleasure to meet you. I know that we have never met. I feel like I know you through busy stories. I also feel like we kind of worked together because you worked on the SpongeBob musical and I worked a little bit on the SpongeBob musical. So. <laughs> Although we didn't work together. Wait, Sarah, what did you do on the SpongeBob musical? I wrote a song with the lovely Tina Landau, who I can't say enough nice things about, um, directed that musical. Um, I They were doing this really ambitious thing where they were, they were reaching out to all kinds of artists to each write a song for the... For the music. I like, saw it. I loved it. Everyone worked on it. So that's how, like, because I wrote some jokes in it. I'm like, yeah, I've worked with David Bowie. I've worked with Sarah Bareilles. John like, Legend. I mean, right? Um, uh, let's see. Who else? Steven I just, Tyler. I mean, like, right, yeah. that's legit to just go around saying that, right? Yeah, I think that's right. I think yeah. that's right. We collaborated that's, on the project. That's yeah. very cool. I didn't. I guess I didn't realize that about Sp- the SpongeBob musical, or maybe I, I don't know if I knew that. I love. I don't have the album or anything, but we. I did see it because you know Cricket was a huge, Cricket's yes. a huge SpongeBob fan. So are my nieces, and I huge. thought it. I thought it was amazing. Me too. I, the I was, was amazing. It was blown so fun. away by SpongeBob the musical. Yeah. Also, the guy that played SpongeBob that was crazy. Ethan. It, everybody yeah. was Ethan. fantastic. Everybody was fantastic. No, everybody was fantastic for sure. Yeah. Is it is it mean that when I call out one person for being exceptional? No, no. What, no. Oh. I just, I, I mean, I thought the woman who played Pearl the whale was amazing. Oh, yes, she was incredible. Yeah. Too. Well, that's cool. I didn't know that. So that was the same time as Waitress. Yeah. Yeah. But here's what I'm going to say. Here's what I'm going to say. Because I think that you and I have a common theme in our lives, which is, like you were in LA for a really long time and you felt like stagnant. And I think this is the thing that people can like kind of relate to Mm -hmm. is that all of us can relate to feeling like here I am in this place and like, this is just my life and I do this Mm -hmm. thing and da, 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 da. Mm -hmm. But you like recognized in yourself that you needed to take, you needed to shake it up and have some new scenery. Mm -hmm. And so you came to New York like all the greats do. (laughs) Also what I did. And this whole other thing opened up for you. And it doesn't have to be New York and you don't have to be hired to write the next huge, beautiful musical guys. But my point is just just that if you do feel stuck or stagnant in any part of your life, it's okay to say, I'm going to give this other thing a shot and see what opens up for me. I... I think sometimes the thing that holds us back is that we're afraid that if we don't like what we come to, we won't be able to like go back, go back, but we don't leave open the possibility that what we discover eclipses what's behind us in such a deep way. You know what I mean? Like I never imagined that my life, I kept, all I worried about when I moved to New York was that what's it going to feel like when I come back to LA? But I never even Mm. left open the possibility that the life and the person myself, I mean, that I would encounter here 
would be so much more expansive and better than what I was leaving behind. So no, I don't, no shade on LA. I just mean like the, the version of myself that I encountered here feels so much more like me. Well, it's so so funny talking about Ed Drosty earlier. I talked with him the other night and he was like, you, your experience in New York right now was exactly my experience, but opposite when I moved to LA. It's more about the place where you feel sort of stagnant or stuck and then just changing that location for a bit. And it doesn't even have to be a year. It could be three weeks. It could be, you know, I think giving yourself an option to shake things up is always a good option. Yeah. It might even be a location. It could be a job or a relationship or whatever. Just like remember that change is can be like a bridge to somewhere good. It doesn't always have to be like, it's going to be bad. Well, because things are always going to change, right? So how, how much better to do it on your own terms than to wait for it to happen on someone else's terms? Things are always going to change. Yeah. Are they? Yeah, they are. Yeah. Um, Sarah, I love you so much. I I really am looking forward to shooting season two. When are we going to find out if we get to do that? I hope we're going to do, we're going to do that, right? I, and what I do you think? genuinely hope so. When do you think you're going to tour again? What is that? <clears throat> I don't know. I really don't know. It's stuff I'm talking about right now to try to like think about, you know, thinking into next year or even later this year. But um, I don't know. Take we a breath. should do Take a breath. Take a breath. Work on your animation studio yeah. that you're launching. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, are you, do you, are you interested in writing? Would you write a book? Well, I did write a book. I wrote a book of essays. And oh, see, I should do research. Yeah. I wrote a book and it was New York Times bestseller. It was like, yeah. it Great. was really a, an amazing, very difficult project. Like, I hated writing that book, but I loved that. It, I loved what I got from it. Like, yeah. I really, it was a special experience, but I, fucking hated writing. That's very relatable. That sounds about right. Yeah. (laughs) That sounds about how it's supposed to be. Yeah. I think that that's right too. Well, now I have to read your fucking book. I wish you, I wish you would have brought it for me. Well, I will bring it for you. The best thing that came from that book. Well, two things I'd say is that it taught me that you can love something hard. Like I loved I loved the book and it was a really hard thing to do. And I thought was like a big takeaway for me. And the second thing was there's a chapter in it called beautiful girl where I did, I, I made like the, the focal point of each chapter, one of my songs. And I have a song called beautiful girl. And I, I couldn't figure out how to like write about this song, but I knew I wanted to talk about it because it was body image and it was like, you know, self-esteem and stuff like that. And I ended up just writing letters to myself at different ages. And that was like a really intense and like healing experience to write to myself as a little like 12 year old being told she's fat on the playground and what that does. And and then what you say to yourself as your like own sort of older sister figure, like to talk to that little girl. And it was like at stages and I still write letters to myself now. I mean, like find myself in the in the middle of like my own chaos and then sit down and write to myself from that like future place. It's interesting. Mm. Highly recommend. That. All right. I love yeah. it. 
And, you know. <sighs> I'm going to eat a hamburger now. Okay. I love you so much, Sarah Bareilles. I love Enjoy you your hamburger. It's Thanks, so guys. nice to see your face. Thanks for spending time with us. Yeah. My pleasure. Love to you both. And thank you for having me. All right. Was she just not delightful? That's Sarah Bareilles. Love her. So, I mean, full disclosure, guys, Sarah knows this. SB, I love you so much. I was never, I never really listened to a ton of Sarah Bareilles' music. Shame on you. Well, listen, Ray, yes, obvi. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> Jesus. Um, but I have been listening to the canon since working mm-hmm. with SB and Cricket's a big fan now. Oh, interesting. Cr- Cricket doesn't know. This is so crazy, like, making this television show during COVID. Like, Cricket doesn't know that this is, like, what even is happening. She was watching the episodes with us last night, and she was like, I just really don't like your voice on this show. It's just, I don't, I don't like how you're talking. I don't like the way you look. I'm like, okay, well. Wow. Cricks? I'm glad you're not a TV critic <laughs> because I'm hopeful that they will like it, my love. Anyway, she's like, I don't understand what this is. I like that other show where it was just you. And I'm like, oh, busy Aww. tonight. And she's like, yeah, that one was the good one because then I could go. And I was like, Aww. there was also no pandemic cricket. That was also <laughs> part of That's happening. very sweet. But I can identify with poor Cricks because like when I was her age, like my dad had a beard and I hate when he would shave it off and I would like have a shit fit. Well, yeah. I think it's that. And I also think that like, obviously I'm busy tonight. I was playing myself. Yeah, yourself. Yeah. So and I so can only imagine if my, yeah, if my parents like showed up like without a beard and a different personality, I would be like very freaked out. Oh my God. I remember going to see Saving Private Ryan with Colin in the theater when we were in college. And he it was like I don't know why we didn't know that he dies at the end. Spoiler alert, guys. Tom Hanks dies in the end. If you have not seen Saving Private Ryan by now. I don't think you have to call spoiler alert if something's 20 years old. No, Raymond, I guarantee you I will get a DM from someone being like, busy ruined Saving Private Ryan. I guess I I ruined something else on the podcast recently, too, for someone. What, The Wizard of Oz? It was something weird. Yeah, that where I was like, it that was like, yeah, a million what, huh? That's not even a Thanks oh, for telling oh, me she killed Gossip the Gossip Girl. Gossip Girl. Where I said oh. who the who Gossip Girl was on the pod. But did and you like, even know who it was? I thought you just guessed. Well, she I just said it was <laughs> was it well, that it was. I just did it again. <laughs> bleep it out. Bleep it out, please. <laughs> bleep it out. Please, please bleep it out. I don't wanna be I don't wanna get such ire again. Anyway. We went to see Saving Private Ryan when we were dating in college and at the Third Street Promenade theaters, Oof. as you did. Disgusting. So we probably, gross. We probably ate Baja Fresh before. Ooh, that's good. That it was good. <laughs> and uh, and he was like truly wrecked afterwards. Because he didn't know and, his dad died? No, in the movie. And I was like, is that? Oh, yeah, that must be really weird. Like. To see your dad die on screen. Like, it never even occurred. I don't know. It just, like, didn't occur to me, obviously. My parents are a real estate agent and a 
nuclear engineer, respectively. Um, I've never watched them on film act out anything. Well, Barbara's never not acting, but... um, (laughs) But, yeah, but he he really... And so I think for the kids, I think for my kids especially, I think Cricket doesn't even really have a grasp of me playing a character, sort of, you know? Yeah. And Birdie does more so... Um, but Bertie's just too cool to care. But I think that it must be very disconcerting to see your parent pretending to be someone else. I'm sure. I'm. It's gotta be like brain breaking because, like, also, at, when do you get like even object permanence? Like, I don't. I don't think also, Cricket's ever gonna get it. I think they're with her wisdom teeth <laughs> in heaven. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. You guys, that kid is so like a magical thinker in the clouds. Like I can't, I don't even know. Like she said so many wild things just in the last like few days. I don't even know. I don't know where to, I don't know where to begin. I don't know where to end. It's like, she's, she's super magical. She's, she's yeah. So you gotta start writing them down. Is it weird for me to be like, I was <sighs> I just should. thinking in my head, Cricket's one of my best friends. <laughs> <laughs> she is though. She's like that. Oh, like her new, well, well, her new like hype beast style that she's really leaning into yeah. is wild. And now those little round glasses that she's Love obsessed it. with, her fashion yeah. glasses, like she's just, no one like her in the world. Everybody thinks that about their kids, but it's really true with both of mine that they're very unique little beans Yeah, that came into the world, just their own vibes. Just spreading their vibes. <laughs> <laughs> spreading their vibes. Spreading the vibes. <laughs> um, well, guys. You know what we have to talk about? What? Merch. Do we have new merch out? We don't. We really have to, like, people are really asking for new merch, but we just, you've been so busy. We haven't, our apologies to. Guys, it's on me. It's not, I mean. What about a bathing suit? Should we just yeah. make a bathing suit? Yeah, we what can make a bathing suit. What about a rainbow bathing suit? Rainbow bathing suit. What, right. about a, what about a bathing suit? I don't know. Should we change the name of the podcast? Should we just name, change the name of the podcast <laughs> altogether? I'm serious. Should we change it? Should we just like, guys, what should we do? We're going to ask should, you. Should we change the name of the podcast? A, don't worry. Your subscription will roll over if you've downloaded and subscribed to the pod. Okay. It will because the, the like, first address, you're bringing this up. Yeah. I've never brought this up before. Just well, you know. whatever. Yeah. Listen, this is where we hash things out. <laughs> right should, okay, here. Okay, so the, here's everyone. The here's the questions. Here's, should mm-hmm. I throw mosquito uh killer in my neighbor's yard? Been yes. established. Yes. Unanimous, should unanimously, we make, yes. unanimously, yes. Should we make a bathing suit? Should we change the name of the podcast? And then any more questions? Well, I think we need a t-shirt. A t-shirt. 100% you need a t-shirt. That's a unanimous yes. You just need to pick one. But no, wait, listen. But I like, what if we just did the human penny shirts but longer? Okay. Oh, because it's a crop right now. Yeah. It's a crop right now. It's a little hard to wear. I got to be honest. Yeah, a crop is not for everybody. It's hard for me to wear right now. A crop is not for everybody. If you have long boobs. Although it could be a good idea to do, um, guys, just like one of another T-shirt because a lot of people have the human penny shirt and maybe yeah, people yeah. want a new a new a new something. Okay, all right, all right, all right. I hear maybe you. Maybe Ray but and I, I will work up some designs. 
Kids and No, Wolf. I have I have ideas. Okay, but you're busy being a television um streaming star. Maybe that's the oh new my t-shirt. God! I forgot to tell you the best story, Casey. What? Shit. <laughs> what it was would you like for to share you. Now? It was for the podcast. Wow, tell we're it. out of time. Tell Fuck. it now. We're on the podcast. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. We are actually on the podcast. Okay. And now you so, know why there's no new merch yet. Continue okay. with story. Guys, <laughs> guys, we're going to work on it. We're going to work on it. We're uh-huh. working on it. Promise. It's happening. I promise. It is. Okay. We're manifesting it. <sighs> guys. Okay, so yesterday I did like a full day of electronic virtual press, which is really just the lamest thing ever. And our friend Ashley Nicole Black is doing virtual press right now for Black Lady Sketch Show, which comes back this weekend. Everybody check it out. Um, But she had the best idea. She's like, oh, yeah, I just checked into a hotel for three days while I had to do all this so I could like treat myself in between virtually being like awkward, high, like... like can't get a word in and delays and it's genius. She's genius. I wish I could do that. I didn't. Anyway, so yesterday I was doing a full day of it. Um, Some stuff more annoying than others, whatever. It is what it is. I'm happy to promote the show. The good news is I'm like very proud of it. Obvi. I've talked about it 4,000 times today. Um, But one of the questions that I got asked for like the social content for Peacock was to build your own dream girl group, which by the way, I do think is a very fun exercise. And if you want to email us who your dream girl group would be, I'm into that. I like it. (sighs) Anyway, they had given me like a bunch of artists that I, you know, like just to give me ideas to say. Um, cause this is a reminder, social content for Peacock, just for them to use like on their socials. But I was like sitting there and I was like, okay, starting to do the social content thing. And then they asked the girl group question and I was like, oh, you know, who's number one on my list? Miss Patty LaBelle. Oh, because of she was on my show on Busy Tonight and I mm-hmm. know a few things. Number one, she always brings pie. Yep. And you know what? Anyone who's going to bring me food and feed me the delicious food that Miss Patty LaBelle makes, I'm on board. Number two, I know that she has a lot of beautiful and very expensive cars, but does not drive. Well, you know what I do and what I love to do? Drive. So in our girl group, I imagine I'm driving the Rolls Royce that, you know, Elton John gifted her or whatever. Richard Pryor gave her a car, right? Yep. She's gotten cars from like so many people. I'm obsessed with her. Plus and number three, cars for the videos. Cars for the vi- and p- cars for the videos. Thank you, Casey. And number three, I just want to be best friends with Miss Patty LaBelle. I like I don't even know what to tell you. Yeah. So that was my first. And I could tell that the Peacock people were like, this is a wild. Like they were expecting me to do like a more tradish yeah, yeah, yeah. girl, girl Beyonce. You know no. what I mean? Like, yeah. and I was like, we're starting with Patty LaBelle. Tori Amos is also in my group. Don't worry about it. Um, we're going to make it work. But you're so allowed anyway, to have that. It was a few hours of me doing this press, right? And then I did uh, I did Hoda Code B's serious show that I guess, I don't even, we didn't, Ray and I didn't understand. It was like taped, taped, live Live to tape. But then it was Casey, live to tape. you'll have to explain live to tape to us even airs, though we It airs <laughs> later. We, I don't even know why I don't understand this, but for whatever reason, I didn't understand it. Live to so, tape means you pretend that it's live, but it's on tape and they'll just play it later. I know, but like, why can't 
I just record my interview whenever. Why did I have to be like there so that they could just cut to me? You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't it know. doesn't make sense. Anyway, whatever. It's fine. It was totally fine. And I love Hoda. I mean, who doesn't? Who right? doesn't? Who doesn't love Hoda? And so, but it was on like over like a Zoom type thing, although it wasn't Zoom. And there was like a weird delay. And I felt like I would say something and then there'd be like seven seconds and then Hoda would say something. I was like, oh, that's a bummer. Because you can never get a rhythm, guys. That's why. Anyway. (laughs) So then they're like, okay, busy. Thank you so much. Bye. They stopped my video and muted me, but I was still just like sitting at my desk, like (laughs) looking, well, like just looking at like what was next, you know, for me and like how much time I had or what I could, what I should be doing. And I hear the producer on my computer because I'm, I'm muted, but they're still live. Yeah. And I hear the producer say, um, okay, Hoda, um, Miss Patty LaBelle is ready for you. She's (gasps) right here. Yes. A mere 45 minutes earlier, I had been extolling the praises of Miss Patty LaBelle. Oh my God. And then here she was on my Zoom that I was muted and stopped videoed on. And you know what your girl did? I just right, I just unmuted myself. <laughs> and, and I couldn't, and I couldn't, um, I couldn't start my own video because like I needed permission from the host, but I could unmute myself and I unmuted oh my myself God. and I was like, hey, Hoda, it's me. It's busy. I'm back. Hi. Hi, guys. I just, I have to tell you a real quick question. I, a real quick story. I just have to, um, sorry to interrupt. I just have to tell, and then Miss Patty LaBelle hears me and she's like, is that busy? Where's my, bu-? <laughs> she's like, literally was like, where's my busy girl? Oh. And it was like the most joyous, happiest moment because in my head, I was like, Patty LaBelle and I are Miss Patty LaBelle and I are friends. Yeah. Like we yeah. are friends. Yeah. You, you know, connected. like we connect, we had a connection. And guys, I was right. We did. She loves me. So anyway, they turned, they did turn my camera back on. Thank God. That makes me and so happy. And I was like, I'm so sorry to crash your interview, but I have to tell you, Miss Patty LaBelle, I'm doing a new TV show. And I was just doing press and I told her the whole thing. And she was like, Well, you never did get to drive me to that concert in LA, <gasps> but we're gonna make it happen. And I was like, I miss you. I love you. I can't wait to see you. Like it was oh, magic. My it was goodness. true, true, true. It's the magic of Miss Patty LaBelle. That is incredible. That is magic. Miss Patty, if you are listening, your busy girl loves you. And would we love to have you on. Yeah, we, we love have you on. so much. We would love to have you on the podcast. We'll drive you anywhere. We'll drive you across the country if you would like Ooh. to be driven. If we can I mean, figure out the movie. audio, you could record a podcast while driving. Can we, all, sell, can we sell that movie? Just fully, me and Miss Patty LaBelle? Yeah, we're all vaccinated. We'll drive you in whatever you'd like to be driven in. And we'll stop at all the restaurants you'd like to stop at because I know you like to go to some restaurants. You always like, you're like Busy's husband. You like to know what are the hottest restaurants in the area that you're in. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll make it happen. Well, that's my story that I meant to start the pod with. Oh my God. I somehow got waylaid. I'm sorry it's at the very end and you had to wait all this time for that great, amazing, magical story. But that is, you know what? We're laying the groundwork. First of all, that is worth it. We're going to tease that there's a great story that it's worth listening to this podcast for three hours. And we're ending on a high note. Ending it on a high note. It's been a tough week. That's a delightful treat to end on. And we're laying the groundwork to like just keep building this relationship with Miss Patty LaBelle. I love Busy, her. Do you want to sing us out on a high note? Get people ready for the show? 
<laughs> She's I mean, so annoyed. <laughs> I just don't know what songs I start. Wait, Ray, do you even know? Ray and I are really on the same wavelength right now. I almost dyed my hair pink the other day. I went on my Instagram and asked the question, should I dye my hair pink? As Ray was sitting in the chair getting his hair dyed pink. Wow. Like, that's crazy. Ray was not here for the beginning of the podcast. Guys, if you remember all the way back to the beginning of the podcast, what I started the show with today was an impromptu song that I made (laughs) up. And that was how we launched into the pod. So, Ray, I've done my singing today. So you're not going to sing us out? I don't need to sing us out because I (laughs) sang us in. and And you also sang the theme song. And I sang the theme song, and I sing on Girls by Veva. If you change the name of the podcast, guys, we're going to have to sing a new theme song. Oh, my God. Oh, that's a good thing to consider. But also, maybe it's time. Maybe but you're doing time. your best. Interesting. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's time. <sighs> All right, guys. All right. Well, Go have yourselves a week. And listen, do your best. Try to show up. Think about what that means for you. And you know, we love you. We love you so much. That's all. Okay. Bye. 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 Oh, no.